Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle is gone until after Christmas, and it is my honor and my pleasure to have as my co-host for the next couple of weeks, the one, the only, the great, fantastic friend, all-around great guy, the voice of the Cardinals, and our teammate of ours at 101 ESPN, Dan McLaughlin. Danny Mack, good to see you in the morning. What a setup. I could say the same about you, one of my best friends in the world. This is going to be fun, Randy. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, we have never done, I don't think, morning radio together. We've done afternoon radio and we've done evening radio but we've never done morning radio together so this is something new and exciting well the first morning it's it's kind of easy to get up but we'll see how next week works or even tomorrow works or even the next day after that but so far so good i got a little coffee in me i'm ready to roll there you go i'm excited you're you're like uh you're spry man you're you're ready to roll we've been doing this let's see may june july august september october november here we are in december this is month number eight and you're holding up. I've never been late. Not once. I'm shocked at that. I got to be honest. I, I was, Randy, you know, I've got great faith in you. I do. I have great faith in you. You're a great teammate. Uh, you're an unbelievable worker. I think you're one of the best radio guys in town. But I did have my doubts about morning radio with you. I, I just got to be honest. Yeah, I did too. I, I, I got to be honest. <laughs> Mornings are not the, your thing, man. No, they really are. They, I've spent my life watching games at night. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I first met you, I was working nights. You were working late nights, and you were definitely a night guy. And then I would have to sometimes work mornings, and I would call you to say, hey, Randy, how did I do on this morning thing? And, hey, Dan, it's uh, 8 in the (laughs) morning. That's exactly right. Uh, You know, why did you wake me up? It was 8 in the morning, okay? You were just getting up. So now it's early in the morning, and I I rolled in here about... I don't know, 6, 6.15, and you were already here prepping, going through it. You were probably here at 5, and, you you know, that's what that's what age and time does. You, you, yeah, you've grown up. Yeah. You've really grown up right in front of our eyes. Yeah. Happening overnight, maybe the game of the year, Monday Night Football, the Cleveland Browns hosting the Baltimore Ravens, and what a wild game it was. Cleveland gets within 28 to 20 after a five-yard touchdown run by Kareem Hunt. Baltimore comes back late in the third quarter, a one-yard touchdown run by J.K. Dobbins, 34-20. But Baker Mayfield leads Cleveland on two touchdown drives, a touchdown pass to Higgins, and a rush by Mayfield. It's 35-34 Cleveland after a two-point conversion. Lamar Jackson leaves the game at the end of the third quarter. It is a 40 or a 35-34 game. Their backup quarterback, Baltimore's backup quarterback, Trace McSeer, McNeely, 
Trace, whatever it was, Tracy, uh, Trace, whatever, the Penn State quarterback. I got you. Thank you. He, he gets hurt at the two-minute warning. Yep. He, he injures a knee, a hyperextended knee. Back comes Lamar Jackson from the locker room like Superman. His first play after the two-minute warning. Five on the line, shotgun snap, fourth and five, runs out of the pocket, pass the hash mark on the numbers, downfield throws, it's caught at the 20. Wide open is Brown, he goes from the 10 to the 5, it's a touchdown! Cleveland has thrown this game right into a chaos with their score, and then Baltimore comes right back and they get the touchdown pass of 44 yards. Hollywood Brown, the extra point, was taken care of by a two-point conversion. J.K. Dobbins runs for it. It's 42-35 in favor of Baltimore. Too much time left on the clock, Dan. That happened with 151 left, with 104 on the clock. They're going to line up at the line, the 22 of the Ravens. Cleveland's got it first down and 10. Clock is at 110. Mayfield, 319 yards. Shotgun snap, line drive throw, backpedaling catch on 15. Breaks a tackle, 10 to the 5, to the pylon. Touchdown! Cleveland has scored! Cleveland has scored! Trailing by one with 104 to go on a 22-yard touchdown. Catch and run. Kareem Hunt scores! Extra point by Cody Parkey. Good. 42-42. 104 left. We're going to overtime, right? Wrong. Lamar leads his club 38 yards, six plays. It takes a minute and two seconds. They get to the 40-yard line, two seconds left for a 55-yard drive by Justin Tucker. On the grass with wind. Ball put down. Right-footed kick is up, arching up, end over and it is good! Two seconds remain. 55-yard field goal by Justin Tucker. And running out there to give him a big hug is Lamar Jackson. Cramps and all, running out and hugging the kicker. And Baltimore takes a 45-42 lead over the Browns. Can I interject at this point? Not real happy at this point. No, I, I know. You wanted them to score a touchdown, right? Well... You know, I, I just wasn't real happy because there are certain people that may or may not have been part of the FanDuel club that I was mm-hmm. a part of. So I wasn't real happy at that point. Just saying. So we've, we've got a three and a half point spread. Just saying. Okay. Just saying. That's a three point spread, right? Or three and a half point spread. That's a three point lead at that point. It's 45-42. That's right. Justin Tucker kicks the ball out of the end zone. Cleveland takes over on their own 25 yard line and... Okay, they're going to try a Hail Mary. They're going to try something to try to get a score. And this game's going to end at 45-42, right? Right. They give it off to Hunt, who laterals it back to Higgins, who throws it back to Mayfield at the 20. He throws in back of him. It's grabbed there by Jarvis Landry. He now begins to run from the 15 to the 20 on the near side. He then has a left-handed throw to the far side of the field. It's loose and picked up by Hunt. It's grabbed again on the handoff to Higgins. He runs back to the 10. He breaks a tackle at the 5. He bows back to the 3. He runs up the middle of the 10, looking for someone to throw to. He throws it back in the end zone, where it's caught by Landry, and then he is thrown out of the end zone, and that is a safety, I believe, right? Yep. (laughs) It is a safety. It is. And it's officially a 47-42 win for Baltimore. You bet it is. (laughs) The line was 3.5. It went from 3-5 to right there on a 25-yard loss. Oh, 
Oh my God! I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I woke up, dug the dog. What a great win! It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe it. Oh, it was unbelievable. It, it really was. As all of this is happening, you heard how long that play ran. That play took 42 seconds. Right. And I'm actually on my phone saying, "Okay, what's this, what's the line here?" Right. Because I was thinking that something like that might happen. I was. As I was watching, I said, I I actually had flipped the TV after it was a three-point lead. Uh-huh. And I said, well, I'll just check back in just to see what happens on this final play. Because, you know, after the touchdown, I, okay, whatever. I, fl- I flipped back and I said, this really may happen. And it did. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was, I, it was unbelievable. And they covered. I was, I was just floored that it happened. Because you never have it cover like that. You never, ever no. have it happen like that and it actually happened and by the way both those teams in my opinion randy both of those teams could be wild cards mm-hmm. with 11 wins look at their schedule right uh, afterwards i went and looked at their schedule you could have a 12 win and an 11 win wild card right those are very good teams that come out of that division and come out of that side of the uh, of the uh, uh, nfl with uh, 11 wins and 12 wins and be wild cards in that situation and one thing about the Ravens is they need their starting quarterback. We mentioned that Lamar Thomas left after the touchdown by J.K. Dobbins late in the third quarter, and he didn't come back until there were two minutes left in the game after Trace McSorley got hurt, injured his knee. So why was Lamar out for that quarter? I started cramping on the field. Like, the two passes I throw, like right before those two passes I throw to Willie and Mark, the overthrow, I was cramping my, my throw on. And I'm telling the coach, I'm like, man, I need to get some salt in my system real quick. And, you know, we punt the ball. I'm on the sideline. We end up catching, end up catching the pick on the interception. We go down the score. And right after that, I get a ball to JK and my legs just start cramping. And I'm like, bro, right, I need something now like, to help me get better real quick because this is, this is a, a crucial game right here. You know, both teams be playing their hearts out. And we went to the back. Um, Dr. Tuck, she was um, helping me out a lot. And Kev came back, started scratching me. And, you know, Trace was doing a great job dropping the ball down the field. Then I see my guy go down. As I'm seeing him go down, like, I'm still stretching. Like, I'm like, I got to get back. I'm catching the attitude because I'm like, man, it ain't going the way we want to. And then I see him go down, and I'm like, we got to start. Nah, like, we just got to go out there. Nah, and I start running out there. It's fourth down. And office line brought their they tail off, and our guys just made great catches, and we came out with the victory. Lamar, 11 of 17, 163, a touchdown. Uh, let's see. On the ground, nine carries, 124. That's what's impressive there. A couple of TDs. Mayfield goes 28 of 47, 343. He had two TDs, one interception. Uh, nine total rushing touchdowns, by the way, in the game. It was an entertaining yeah, game. And that ties the all-time record. Two team, two games had nine rushing touchdowns back wow. in 1922. Wow. And since 1922, there hasn't been a game with nine rushing touchdowns. One other thing about Lamar, he mentioned the fourth down. He comes back after the two-minute warning. It's fourth and six when he throws the touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown. We were talking off the air. Who is faster, Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick? I was watching last night, and I think Lamar Jackson is. It might be recency bias, but I I think Lamar is. When you get on the turf and you watch Michael Vick back in his heyday on artificial turf, awfully fast, Mm -hmm. but watching last night on natural grass, Lamar might be faster. He he outruns everybody. Everybody. He's amazing. I might go with Lamar. Baseball. Cardinal catcher Yadier Molina's brother Benji joined the fast lane yesterday and talked about 
the negotiations that are going on right now between Yachty and the Cardinals. He's rough, man. He's rough. He wants to stay here. He knows that they can do it. They can keep him in because in the end of the day, guys, all I want you guys to, to see and think is do your lineup. Do your lineup and then put Yadi in and then put whoever else you have after Yadi, right? And do you when you do that lineup, you tell me which lineups make your team better and give you a better chance to win with Yadi in or with Yadi going away. That's all I want and I hope that's all I've been saying all this time. Which one makes my team better? So if it is Yadi in the lineup, so why not make a really huge effort to keep him, right? I'm a big fan of Yadier Molina, and there's no question that when Yadier is behind the plate, that he makes your young pitchers better. But when I'm making out my lineup with a 38-year-old Yadier Molina, who in the last five years, Dan, has had OPSs of 787, 751, 750, 711, 662. His OPS has gone down every single year. If I'm filling out my lineup, yeah, if, if I'm hitting Yadier, Eighth, seventh, or eighth. I can I can do that. Right. But I also know that he's descending and Andrew Kisner, who may or may not be very solid defensively, but if he's in the major leagues, it's because of his bat. I know that Andrew Kisner at least has a chance to ascend. I don't believe at the age of 38, Yadi or Molina, with the rules in place as they are right now, 38-year-olds used to get better. I don't think that he will get any better. He used to get better. <laughs> I, I got, got I, better at 38. I get, I, I get where you're going with that one. Um, the last two years, combined slugging percentage of the St. Louis Cardinals is 404. So that's not very good. And he's been below their average, 399, 359 last year. Last in doubles, last in home runs, St. Louis Cardinals, too. Last year, the Cardinals are 24th, I believe, in slugging percentage a season ago. So if if Benji's asking that question, Yachty's got to hit, to your point, 7th or 8th, if the pitchers are hitting in a lineup, in a lineup, mm-hmm. in the National League. Now, if you're asking about defensively, Yachty is better than what they have coming back. If you're asking about where he hits in a lineup offensively, then Yachty's got to hit down in the lineup, in my opinion. He doesn't hit fifth or sixth. He's got to hit down in a lineup. I think what's interesting, too, is that the Mets signed McCann, Gary Sanchez going back to the Yankees. So where is the marketplace right now for Yachty or Molina? It's, it seems to me that it's starting to shrink. The Nationals could be a player for Yachty or Molina. Do the Angels maybe get in this marketplace for Yadier Molina? That would be of interest, I think, potentially. Do you do you maybe get him back with Albert Pujols for that final go-around, especially if they go out and get Trevor Bauer and one more pitcher, and they mm-hmm. say, hey, we're going to go for it. we got a loaded lineup. You know, you, you got Rendon, you got Trout, you got Molina, you got Otani, uh, you got Albert. That would be maybe, say, go for it for one more year. I, I just think, Randy, and I, I've said this a lot, when you look at all the yes, no check boxes, there's a lot of yeses that go back to Yachty coming back to St. Louis. Now, is it a multi-year deal or is it one year with an option? And you say that, hey, he hits a, a lot of, of uh, incentives to, to pick up the option. And maybe you make it easily done for those option for the option to get picked up. But it just makes sense to me that he comes back to St. Louis. I, I really believe that. Much more about Yachty and Benji's interview on the fast lane as our morning continues. A couple of other notes. Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe reporting that MLB execs believe spring training could be pushed back by at least a month so that fans could be in the stands for opening day. And Mizzou's basketball team, Conzo Martin and the group, congratulations to them as they're number 16 in the country after their win over the Illini. We're slow. 
Uh, SLU is 21 points shy of making the top they 25. Are, they are on in the others getting votes group. Come on. SLU's got, I, if SLU, Mizzou, Illinois would have been in the top 25, I did a little research mm-hmm. on this. If my research is correct, which could be a little sketchy at times, Randy, as mm-hmm. you well know, I think it would have been the first time that all three would have been in the top 25 since 1994. Wow. 1994, if my research would have been correct. Spoonball days. Spoonball. Norm was still around, right? Booker, Norm, and guys like Richard Keene and Mm -hmm. and some of those players. And was still at Illinois, right? Correct. Yeah. So uh, at some point this season, that is going to happen. You're going to have all three together. Might happen next week. Yeah, very well it could happen. Yeah. That is our kickoff here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Dan and I will tell you what's better. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. What's better is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Join the conversation. What's better? Text 65780. This is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac, Randy, and Tanner Hendrickson and a little game of What's Better. And we welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Tanner, what do you got for us this morning? Well, let's just jump right into the text line from the 618. What's Better? Rammer getting upset with the refs during a Billikens broadcast or Troy Aikman trying to find the words to describe how bad his Cowboys are during a broadcast? I think, Dan, from my perspective, I got to go with Rammer. Absolutely. Yeah, Rammer goes nuts, and I get the chance to watch it in person because a lot of times during a game, if I'm there doing the the television Mm -hmm. side, um, Travis Ford will look at us during a replay, and he'll kind of throw his hands up like, you know, Mm -hmm. what are you guys seeing? And we'll kind of give him what we see during the replay and Mm -hmm. say, you know, give him a thumbs up, thumbs down if it's a good call. And then you look over at Rammer. That is a horrible call. <laughs> Terrible call. He's screaming. And the refs are looking back at Rammer yep. like, what in the hell is going on here? So, yeah, Rammer going nuts because the, uh, you know, the, the Cowboys probably can't hear Troy, you know, going right. through it and, and, you know, disguising what he's saying. Yeah. Later they'll hear about it. But Rammer in the moment going ballistic is is perfect. I love it. We'll see if we can find it because we do have a, a clip of Rammer literally talking to the officials during a game saying, this is 101's broadcast. You get away from here. It's great. It's one of the all-time <laughs> classic uh, Ramsey cuts. So I, I would go with Rammer as well. And I don't think Troy has to find words to describe how bad his Cowboys are. No. They've been He's, awful. Yeah. And he, you know what? He's paid to give his opinion. Yep. And that's uh, the way it is. Does a good job of analyzing. Yeah, he's great. From the 314, what's better, a U.S. World Cup win or a St. Louis sports dynasty? St. Louis sports dynasty. No question. St. Louis sports dynasty. Yeah. Not even close. No, it's really not. And I think a U.S. World Cup win would be awesome because it would really change the trajectory of soccer in our country. And it would be great for St. Louis City SC. Yeah, but... If, if we wind up having a St. Louis City SC dynasty, all the better. I would agree, but I'm going St. Louis. I'm going local. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I want to see a Cardinal dynasty. That's what I want. Load up after this year. Go for it. Sign a bunch of guys because I don't have to pay them. 
and uh, and go for a dynasty. Were the Yankees winning in 96, 98, Eight, 99, 2000, 2000, and then losing in 2001 one. and 2003? Is that a dynasty? Yeah. I'll take that dynasty. Yeah. You won four years out of, what, seven? Is that right? Yeah, seven? And, and went to six. Six. You missed the World Series in, nine. let's see, 98. And then 2002, those were the only two years. I thought at that point in time, I don't know about you, I, I thought going through those years and watching it and, and broadcasting games, I thought this is going to be unfair because the Yankees were going to spend so much money that they would win every single year mm-hmm. and that baseball was in trouble and that the Yankees would be in it every single year. I didn't realize I was watching just a great core that was in yeah. their primes, which was really the case. That they had developed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was Jeter, Posada, Bernie Williams. Uh, now, they did a, a remarkable job of, of implementing yeah. certain guys that they went out and signed. They, they, had, they had the money to do it and then keep those guys. Right. But they did develop that great core of players. And you're bringing in Rivera. You've got yes, people like Scott and Pettit, by the way, too. Yeah. But then you add, it wasn't like the A-Rod was really the only super expensive guy they added. They, they had Jim Giambi. Reigns at the end of his career. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but... Yeah, was he? No, because Tino was the first baseman for that group. Tino was a big signing that they got yeah. from Seattle. I don't know if Giambi ever won a series with them. I don't think he did. I remember when Giambi came through, it was after the steroid revelations in St. Louis, and he was lost. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, it was like was watching. Four, right? Yes, it was like watching uh, a totally lost player. I mean, you could pitch to him, Randy, and it was like pitching to me. In a major league game, it was you're going to get him out. Yeah, it was crazy, crazy yeah. watching that. So we'll take that kind of dynasty from the three one four. What's better, Blues signing a top six forward or Cardinals signing an outfielder? Mm, that's a good question. I don't think there are any real legitimate top six forwards on the market anymore. I think the I would like for the Cardinals to have a lefty bat in the outfield. I know people kick around the idea of Mike Hoffman, who plays zero defense. Mike Hoffman is a consistent, not only is he a consistent minus player, he's a consistent really big minus player. He scores goals, but he just does not fit what the Blues are, which is a defense-oriented team. So I'm going to throw him out. But without Tarasenko, where's the scoring going to come this year? It's got to come from Robert Robert Thomas Thomas. or Kairou. Somebody's got to step up. And the more, the longer they go, if they start on January 13th, Dan, which I think they will, they might have Vladdy back by the middle of February, the first part of March. Do you realize that's under a month away we're going to have Blues hockey? Yeah, that's great. That's crazy. Yeah, January 1st, training camp. Yeah. Um, I, I happen to agree with you. I think they've got to get the Yachty thing done, the Wayno thing done one way or another. And then at that point, you address the outfield. And Jock Peterson has been the guy that I've pointed to that I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. I think you could platoon him with a Bader, get creative um, with your outfield and mix and match. I mean, if you wanted to, Tyler O'Neill could play some center field if he had to. Uh, obviously, Dylan Carlson could play some center field if he needed to. I'd really like to see... I, you know, Bader actually had... And I had Mark uh, Saxon on the show yesterday in studio. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the fact that Bader actually had a better year offensively than people get him credit for. Bader really struggled against right-handed pitching. Yeah. And that's where the, the rubber meets the road. And... 
a guy like Jock Peterson, his career smashes yeah, just against kills right-handed pitching. Right. When you look at what he does specifically against right-handers, so you'd have a nice platoon there if you had Jock and Harry Bader. And, and Bader has, like, like you said, he's ascended. That's one more place where we can say, well, he hasn't gotten any better. He's gotten a lot better in terms of dealing with specifically left-handed pitching against right-handed pitching for his career. Peterson has an 849 OPS and a 501 slope. Now, if I'm Jock Peterson's camp, though, from his perspective, I would have to say there are going to be teams out there that would say, you're going to play every day, Mm -hmm. lefty, righty, and you have a chance to get a one-year deal, reestablish your market, play every day, lefty, righty, and then go out and get another bite at the apple. So... That's why I'd be very cautious of signing with the Cardinals when the Cardinals are saying, hey, we have Justin Williams, we have Tyler O'Neill, we have Lane Thomas, we have all these different guys. We're not sure you're going to play every day. And we should note that in his career, while he has Peterson, an 849 OPS against left, right-handed pitchers, against lefties, a 576. Bingo. From the 314, what's better? The white slash, I don't know if they're yellow Christmas lights on a tree or the colorful ones, the red, the green, the blue? I like the uh, the very classy, non-colored, like the white, yellow, whatever it is. I, I'm, I'm very much the, the classic look of that. So, Dan, we have on our outside. You're a color guy, I guarantee it. Uh, actually, we have both, but I am totally a color guy. Yes. We have both, too. So, we, we on the outside, wreaths, lights outside, white. And then in our bay window, we have a tree with white lights. But then the main tree back in the family room, that's colorful lights, color every day of the Christmas season. I see you as a Clark Griswold type guy. I really do. Used to be? Yeah. I could see you doing that. I see you... Absolutely is Christmas vacation. Well, Dan, at one point I was, but 17 years ago last weekend. You fell off a ladder. I fell off a ladder. I know. Which ended my career as a home decorator during the holiday season. Understood. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it was a, a tough injury. I, I saw it. what happened to you. It was gruesome. I think that's what the, the term that people used. I saw it, went through it. <laughs> With you, kind of. So I, I, I get it. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Good things happening at Mizzou with both football and basketball. We're going to talk to Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com about the Tigers next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com. Kind enough to spend a few moments with us on a Tuesday morning. Gabe, good morning. How are you doing? Not bad. What's going on, guys? Everything's good. Hey, as the football game unfolded on Saturday, and I, I felt really good about it going in and obviously felt really good about it when Mizzou tied the game late in the first half. But then when things kind of unfolded the way they did in the second half. I wasn't upset because i that's kind of what I expected 2020 to be for Mizzou against Georgia. What did you think of that second half specifically? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You said he felt good when Missouri tied it. And, and really, when you looked at where that game was, it, the miracle was that Missouri ever was in a tie game mm-hmm. because Georgia dominated that whole, that game was never even, um, you know, even when it was 14, 14, Georgia had like a two to one edge in in most of the categories. And, and that was just, that's what happens when a team 
with the talent edge at every single position also plays better than the other team, right? I mean, Georgia is better if they play the same, but Georgia played well. Missouri didn't play well, and, and that's what you get. And um, that that was a house money game for Missouri. I mean, if you had kept it close or won it, obviously it, it does great things for your season. But also losing it by 35 points, I mean, you were kind of supposed to lose it by 35 right. points. That's what I was thinking into too. the year, so no big deal. Yeah. How would you, uh, Gabe, good to hear your voice. How would you, as you look at the season, they got Mississippi State this weekend, and if they get this win, how would you uh, surmise the season first year for drink? How, how would you look at the, the whole body of work? I, I would say this season is a success regardless of what happens this weekend. Now, you don't you don't want to end with two straight losses, especially one to a team that, you know, I think you'll be favored to beat on the road, but – at the beginning of the year, I said anything more than three is a great season in, in year one. I mean, I looked at the schedule at the start of the year, and I said you should get Vandy, you should get Arkansas, and you'll probably pick up one more somewhere. And, and that was my expectation. Um, he greatly surpassed that. You know, he we understand LSU isn't LSU, but that game almost made this season a success regardless of what else happened because you beat the defending national champs and you had that kind of moment that you can point to and say, look, what what we do is going to work. He is on the verge of signing Missouri's highest-rated recruiting class ever. And I, I wrote some about that yesterday. It said, look, the, the reason you feel good about this program isn't necessarily on the football field because, yeah, they look – they look better. I think they've won two games they wouldn't have won in past years in the way they won the LSU and Arkansas games. But there are still obviously big holes on the roster. The reason you feel better about the direction of this thing is he is recruiting at a level that legitimately nobody has ever recruited at at Missouri. I mean, Gary Pinkle had a million strengths. Recruiting classes on paper weren't really one of them. He, what made Pinkle remarkable here is to steal one of his words, is that he won at a level that he shouldn't have been able to win at, mm-hmm. considering the talent he was signing. Um, Missouri, at that level even had slipped the last four years. I mean, I, I ran the numbers yesterday, and it is. I mean, Missouri's been the worst recruiting team in the SEC for four years, and that includes Vanderbilt. Um, I, they just. It is unbelievable, honestly, that Missouri has done even what it has done the last four years, considering the way that it's been recruiting. And so to get back to that level that Pinkle had it or something close to it, you've got to find better players. And Drinkwitz is doing that tomorrow. Now, look, you got to stack three and four of them on top of each other. One year, you can get to fix it. But he's doing something that I didn't think could be done at Missouri. You can read the great work of Gabe DeArmond at PowerMizzou.com, and it's a valuable subscription if you're a Tiger fan. Gabe, what do you think in terms of a bowl for Missouri? Uh, I think most, and everybody understands, the bowls are a little bit weird this year, right? Mm-hmm. We don't, We don't really know if the selection process is going to be exactly the same because there are there are zero rules for a bowl game like if if some bowl game said we want Owen nine Vanderbilt they could go take Owen nine Vanderbilt that's that's what it is this year but I we're assuming the conferences are going to work to keep it somewhat normal and uh it, assuming that happens Missouri is likely headed to the Outback or the Gator Bowl uh I think both those games are, are on 
January 2nd, the Gator Bowl this year is against an ACC team would probably be like a Miami or a North Carolina. Uh, the Outback Bowl was against a Big Ten team, and that would be pretty reliant on what happens with Ohio State and, you know, if they get in the playoff or if they don't. But the like, I mean, it could be Indiana, Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin uh, in, in that bowl game, depending on, again, what happens with the Big Ten and, and kind of the playoff. Gabe, I want to go back to recruiting for a moment. You mentioned that the, he has a class that's coming in that is second to none in Missouri recent history. Um, can you describe that class and how is he getting it done? Like, what is he doing that's different than what's been done in the past? Well, I, I mean, you guys have talked to him. You've seen him, uh, you know, whether it's on social media or just in interviews. He's got charisma. He's got energy, right? You can you can see how, hey, this guy could could be on a – and you can't say sit in the living room anymore because that doesn't happen, but could be on a FaceTime call with a kid and a kid could come away going, I really like that guy, man. Um, you know, and, and uh, honestly, Missouri's last two head coaches, like they had a lot of strengths, but I, I don't think one of them was like being a salesman, right? That just wasn't their personality. I, I think Drinkwitz is, and, and sometimes that comes with a negative connotation. Like you have to back up what you sell as a coach or it's going to quit working, but he, he gets PR. He gets, he, he's got energy. Um, he, he's out there. He says and does things that a lot of college football coaches just won't say and do out loud, right? I mean, he is openly talking last week about flipping guys' commitments. Um, <laughs> you know, most most coaches, uh, it, it, it's a little – it's not Lane Kiffin, but it, there's a little Lane Kiffin there, right? I mean, most coaches are going, well, we, we like the guys we have, you know, and, and – uh, Hey, we don't we don't really talk about that other stuff, and it, you know they're very buttoned up, and he's not, and and I like that, I appreciate it in my job, and and I think kids appreciate it, and I think obviously it sells. I mean, when you're a new coach, you sell hope, um, and mm-hmm. you sell potential more so than obviously what you've done on the field, and and he's doing a good job of that. Um, it, really, it's only I've been doing this 17 years. This is only the second new coach I've covered, and. The last new coach didn't get that new coach recruiting bump because he took over probably at the worst time he could possibly have taken over in December of 2015. Hey, Gabe, we want to touch on Mizzou's basketball team because they weren't ranked. They are now. To what do you attribute the early success of Conzo Martin's club? Uh, Experience and uh, the chemistry. I mean, there was a lot of talk this offseason that uh, this year is going to be Experience is going to be important because nobody had a regular offseason. None of these guys could play together, all that. We're actually now seeing that play out. Missouri has third and fourth year guys that have played together, and you see what's happening. Kentucky has its usual, hey, bring in a, a brand new roster every year, and look what's happening there. I, I mean, Kentucky has more talent than Missouri. I don't think there's any question about it, but Missouri's guys have, have been together. Uh, you know, they're used to playing with each other. Conzo is finally. Um, letting them play the way that I think this roster is constructed to play, which is they're going quick. Uh, they, they push the pace. He lets Xavier Pinson play through a few mistakes. He has a defined rotation, which he's never had before. I mean, every year Conzo has told us, hey, you can't play more than eight, maybe nine guys. And then you're looking up in game six where you're at the first TV timeout and 11 guys have already played. Well, he's not doing that because he's comfortable with his team. He knows his rotation. He knows the guys. 
And and you're seeing basically an eight man rotation at this point. And they've settled in and and they're in mid season form, you know, in the in the first five games of the year. Gabe, love your work at powermazoo.com. Love your information that you provide us. Thanks so much for taking the time. Have a happy holiday season. All right, guys. Same to you. Thank you. Take care. That is Gabe DeArmond, powermazoo.com on 101 ESPN. And that's what you want to do in basketball. You get an experienced group. We've, we saw it with Rick Majerus uh, towards the end of his time at Mizzou. We've seen it before with uh, SLU, with Charlie Spoonauer when he had experienced groups. Travis Ford's team right now. We're, it, it makes an amazing difference when you have a veteran group of guys. I saw Conzo and did a lot of his games when he was at Missouri State. They play really hard. And I went and looked this up, Randy, um, after the Illinois game. Mizzou right now is almost in the top 40 in defense among 300 Division One teams. They're 46th. That's what they do. I mean, he, he That's they, Conzo. they get it on the defensive end. And the thing that they did on Saturday night, they hit their free throws. Yeah. I mean, that was the difference in the Illinois game. Illinois didn't hit free throws. If they hit free throws, they probably win the game. Mizzou hits free throws right now, too. And the, the point that Gabe made that I think we're seeing across the board in Division One basketball, if you have juniors and seniors on your teams, you're going to win because you had summers and you had a program that is uh, kids have already been in with their coaches. And so these one-and-done teams, they're just not used to playing at the, at the Division One level and they're not used to being in the program and the system yet. So it's going to take – I don't know if I'd want to play those teams in March – but right now, they're just not ready for it. And so these guys that have been in the system are are ready. I mean, they're battle-tested, and it's, it's obvious it's playing out. Out of the 324 Division One teams, there are roughly 20 that hit 80% of their free throws. You hit 80 for, 80% of your free, free throws, it's going to give you so many wins yeah. as opposed to hitting 65 or 68%. That was one of the big differences in the game on Saturday night. Definitely. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Your Teolis coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Back now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And we want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or leave it. And Danny, I'll get things started. Yesterday, Jets quarterback Sam Darnold did his weekly video conference call with reporters and was asked if he was maybe looking for a fresh start out of the Jets and out of New York. And he said, take it. No, I love it here. <laughs> I love all the people around here. I love living here. I always said it. I always want to, I want to be a Jet for life. That decision isn't necessarily up to me, but that's how I feel. Take it or leave it. If you didn't know it before, you know now that Sam Darnold's an idiot. Yeah, well, uh, I don't believe anything that he's saying, so I'm going to take it. And I'm not going to call him an idiot, but I would take it and get the hell out. Yeah. Because he has no chance of staying there and being the starter, so just take it and go out. You are the quarterback of the winless Jets who can take one of the best quarterback prospects in the last 25 years in Trevor Lawrence. And you have a chance to be traded to the Steelers or the Colts. Yeah. You want to get out of New York and get to the Steelers or the Colts. Well, just just call Chase Daniel and yeah. say, hey, Chase, uh, how's life been as a backup for you? And Chase would say, well, hold on. Let me uh, let me go to the uh, mansion, the other side of my mansion here. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I've made, you know, millions. I think 40 million. Yeah. I've I've had a hell of a career. My body is still intact. Uh, My mind is still intact. Um, My brain is still intact. And, uh, oh, hold on. I got to cash this check. And uh, probably have a pretty good shelf life of being a backup for some more years. So, yeah, take take being a backup and get paid. Go do that. Go do that and go on a winning franchise and, and enjoy your life. That's yeah. what I would do. Chase Daniel, this how much year. Mo- how much money has he made? He is in the midst right now of a $13 million contract, 13.05 <laughs> with real. Detroit. I believe he's made about $40 million. The biggest contract that him. he signed was a three-year, $21 million deal with the Eagles. And like you say. And I he's got a ring, too. He, and, and he started five games in his career. And he does have a ring. Right. Right. So, yeah, he's he's had a pretty good. It's a charmed life, isn't it? That is really good. It's pretty good. That's playing the system right Somebody there. was saying to me, you know, if you're Trevor Lawrence, would you stay in at Clemson? I said, absolutely not. I said, I, you go to the Jets. You become the franchise quarterback because you're going to get paid. You're going to be in New York. You're going to be marketable. And if you get beat up, you get beat up. But you're going to make a lot of money. And and you take on the challenge of being the guy. Right. I, I do it. You're going to get paid. I mean, if you go to Clemson, you got, you're, you're, one, you're one play away from getting hurt. And here's the other thing, Dan. With If Bill Cowher winds up being their coach, he's not going to allow his quarterback to get hit. I, I just... I'm always just so hesitant about people staying in college if you know you got the guarantee of going out and getting paid. Take Take the money. Take the money and run. Right. Chase, by the way, as of right now, and he's in the midst of that first year of the $13 million contract with the Lions, he has made $34,309,164. Good for him. That's awesome. So he's going to, after this contract, it'll be $40,7 million. I did a bunch of the Mizzou games when they were in their heyday (laughs) with he and... Uh, Macklin and Kaufman, mm-hmm. they were so much fun to watch, Randy. They were he, great. He, I mean, he was put it on a dime, man. He was awesome. Awesome. I'm surprised that he's never been given a full-time opportunity. And maybe he, I am too, actually. But I thought he was better than a lot of the people that he was playing with. Maybe he was like what we're talking about. He was smart. He just said, hey, you know what? I, the, the backup thing works. Gives me a shelf life. I just... I'll, I'll be fine being a backup. That's okay. And when they signed him and then they traded for Bradford, I wonder if he was upset or if he said, fine, I'll take the $21 million. Yeah, I'm okay with that. No problem. From the 636, take it or leave it. Rams going to Green Bay or New Orleans and can win a playoff game. I'm going to take it. I think the Rams are, are pretty good. Yeah, I, I just don't see them going to Green Bay in January. With That's that the group. only thing. The, the weather to me is the factor with some of these teams that becomes really tough to win, mm-hmm. especially in January. That's the factor. Yep. But can I, they win in ideal weather conditions? Absolutely. No doubt. I think if they play at home or they got to go to a warm weather area, yes, they win. If they have to go to Green Bay, that becomes a real tough place Dicey. to play. Yeah. From the 618, take it or leave it. Wentz gets dealt to the Colts this offseason, and they become the second best team in the AFC behind the Chiefs. I'm going to leave it because he would be $59 million against the The Eagles cap if they would trade him. Now, if they would cut him and give him a post uh, June 1st designation, it'd be $40 million. But the cap is about $185 million. If you're the Eagles, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you only have 
145 million or 125 million to build a roster when everybody else has 185 million. It's going to cost you a lot less to have him play for you or to be your backup than to be on somebody else's roster. I'm leaving it because I'm not buying into Jalen Hurts yet, and I'm not going to take 59 million against the cap. No, no way. And he was a guy that led me to a Super Bowl. I'm not giving up on just one game, and Jalen Hurts is the guy. Now, he played well, mm-hmm. but I'm not saying that that's the future yet. No, no way. I, I would still, if I were another team and I could get him, though. Oh, if, I'd take a look at it for I, sure I would, give him a fresh start. If yeah. I'm the Colts and Frank Reich and I had him when he was the near near MVP, right? absolutely i take him. Yep, I agree. Take it or leave it. The Browns are better without Odell Beckham Jr. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to take it. Because Odell is a guy that he, he is a guy that forces his quarterback to throw him the ball. Baker Mayfield's spreading it around now. He's getting it to Landry. He's getting it to Peoples. He's getting it to the tight ends. He's getting it out in the flat. Odell is a guy that demands the ball. And I think when you don't have that guy, Baker spreads it around more. I want talent. I, I don't. He's he's one of the best receivers in the game. He's top ten receiver. I want talent on the field. He'll figure it out. Give me talent. Give me the best I got out there. He makes me better. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you. That is Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Thanks for your texts. Coming up, more on Benji Molina's explosive interview with the Fast Lane yesterday. And is he hurting? Yachty, that's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker, Dan in for Michelle, who is taking some time off during the holiday season. But we would all like to thank you for donating to Carricker and Smallman's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser. Our goal was to raise $10,000 for the Little Bit Foundation. We raised $13,316 to support the Little Bit Foundation and help local area students in need with backpacks full of school supplies and food because so many people are going hungry during this time. A special thank you to our sponsors, Massage Lux, Docs Harley-Davidson, T-Mobile, and Allstate agent Tracy Bibb. You can still donate by going to the littlebitfoundation.org, but thanks again for helping us not only match but eclipse our goal of $13,000. We greatly appreciate you, and we wish you a safe and healthy and happy holiday season. St. Louis is amazing. It is amazing. Great work by you guys. Wonderful stuff, and uh, St. Louis always giving back. So St. Louis needs to do that uh, this time of giving, and they stepped up as always. Great stuff. Dan, our friends in the fast lane had a great interview with Yadier Yadier Molina's brother, Benji, yesterday. It was heard here on 101 ESPN, and you can hear it at 101ESPN.com. But one of the things Benji talked about was about how Yadi wants to say stay in St. Louis, but it's got to be a two-way street. He's going to have to make his own decision. He wants to stay in St. Louis. He's made it clear. He doesn't want to go anywhere, but he also doesn't feel, you know, so I, I think he's 
I think he just wants to stay, man. He wants to stay and see what happens. But but I, that's the only probably the only thing that we have to talk about is just uh, stay cool, think about everything that has been said or, or you know the contract wise, and and just study it, you know, and see what is best option for Yadi. I think the Cardinals have been really forthright and fair in their discussion. I, I have not sensed one negative comment about Yadier Molina from John Mozeliak. What he said is that it's a very difficult negotiation because you have an iconic player and he wants the situation to play out. The Cardinals have made it pretty clear. They want Yadi back too. Well, you know, one of the things too, Mark Saxon reported that uh, Yadi was... And I think the term was highly disappointed or yeah, something. He said ridiculous. Ridiculous. The word. That comes from his camp. We don't know if that came from Yachty. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of negotiations. You know what I mean? That may not have come from Yachty. And so I'm sure uh, that Yachty's agent probably contacted John Mosellock and said, hey, this is part of negotiations. You're going to hear a lot of things that come out. And here's where we're at. I know where you're at. And this is part of the negotiations. We get it. And that's what happens with this. John Mozeliak has talked about patience from the get-go. And now we're seeing some of that patience come to fruition in terms of the marketplace being set. You had Sanchez go back to the Yankees. You had McCann signed by the Mets yesterday. So now some of that marketplace is being set. John Mozeliak has said that January will be the new December, where, by the way, today would be the start of spring training two months from today. Wow. Think about that. So we're two months away. Now, that's a big maybe. We don't know if that's going to be the case. So we're still two months away from spring training. Um, If you're the Cardinals, again, being patient to see how the marketplace sets itself is, is probably in their best interest. I do believe both sides want this to happen in St. Louis. I do think both sides want to see him finish his career in St. Louis, and I do think it's going to wind up being that way. The question will be, in my mind, Randy, is it going to be a two-year deal or a one-year deal, Mm -hmm. and will that one-year deal be an option? And I think that's where we're going. And we've heard Adam Wainwright talk about a package deal. You've got two iconic Cardinals that are in free agency right now. Benji on Yachty and Wayno. I really do believe that Cardinals should have signed him and, and Wainwright uh, really, really a long time ago without question, right? Um, the money or whatever they discuss is probably what their holdup is, I guess. But coming from the two guys that were there for the team the whole time and they are very con- consistent. Wayno was our best pitcher the last couple of years, you know, uh, and then Yadi doing his thing, you know, with the ERA on the pitching, with the ERA on the bullpen, uh, making this team uh, really good with, with the pitching. So I really do believe that they should have signed him way, way back before all these. Now now these kids are in the last couple of years of their career. They want to win, but they also want to be appreciated. You know, they want to be appreciated for what they've done. Uh, they just don't, they see what they have around. They see who's got pay and haven't done the job. And they have done the job. So they, they're actually looking to you know, looking for for actually appreciation from the team that they've been good, you know, they've been doing their job. So it really, really surprised me that the Cardinals have not signed these two guys yet. 
The biggest change, Dan, in baseball contracts over the last decade since analytics came into play is that teams don't pay guys out of appreciation for what they've done anymore. There are algorithms to determine exactly what a player's worth is. And that's what the Cardinals are going to start at. Now, there's a little bit of emotion involved, but to think that you're going to get paid for what you've done in the past at this stage in 2020, that means you aren't paying attention. Well, and again, the Cardinals, what's their biggest need is offense. The last two years combined, their slugging percentage is 26th at 404. Last year, they were last in doubles and home runs, uh, 24th in slugging percentage. And Yachty is, in terms of, of offense, not the player that, that they need. You know, they, they need offense. And that's one of the reasons that Colton Wong was not back. I mean, they didn't, not that they didn't value his defense. Mm-hmm. They valued it, but not at the price tag that you're talking about. Um, so that's why they walked away from it. It was payroll flexibility, but they were looking for more thump. And so this, if you're just looking at, take away what he means with being a coach on the field and how he guides people through, mainly I'm talking about pitchers through a game. If you're just talking strictly offense and just valuing that, mm-hmm. he's not that guy. Now, if we're talking about the intangibles of what he means to a pitching staff and guiding a a young staff, hey, if you're asking me who I want there for the last three outs of a World Series behind the plate, it's Yadier Molina. If you're asking me what he means to this franchise, there may not be a more valuable player in terms of putting people in the seats. That's important. If you're asking me for a guy that is uh, valuable to the young fan because he's going to fill some seats, I think you would agree, Randy. It's Yadier Molina. He's a reason to come to the ballpark. But when you're talking strictly offense, he's not that player. So how do you balance that? How do you get through that? And that's something the Cardinals have to answer right now. The biggest analytics team in baseball for many years has been in New York with the Yankees. And Derek Jeter went into free agency after the 2011 season and didn't get offers and came back. King kind of crawled back to the Yankees on a three-year deal for $51 million. And he thought his value was way beyond that at that stage. And he wound up having actually good years in the last three years of his career. But the Yankees put a number on his performance. It wasn't based on how they felt about what he had done for them in the past. And I think that's one thing is that this is a really cold, hard business now. And what you've done, what your personality is, really has nothing to do with it is what can you do for me on the field? That's what teams want to know, and that's what they're willing to pay for. So if you had Molina batting, let's say, seventh or eighth, Mm -hmm. then that's different than him being a middle-of-the-order type bat, and I'm fine with that. But they've got to address other issues with this offense, and putting him seventh or eighth in a lineup I think is fine. You know, if you had injuries and he had to move up, that's one thing, but batting him down in the lineup I think is something that you live with and say, hey, guide this young team, this young pitching staff. That's okay. But he's not a middle-of-the-order type bat anymore. And if his goal, his ultimate goal is to win, if that's the most important thing, then the the Cardinals are going to have a certain amount of money allocated to players, to payroll. So perhaps taking less would allow them to go get what they need so that he can take care of what he values most, winning. Let me ask you this. What do you think about, um, let's just say the vaccine rolls out and we're going to have baseball not only this year, but in 2022, because the CBA is hovering over the sport and let's hope, knock on wood, fingers crossed, all those things hit on my head, knock on wood. 
like I said, that we're going to have baseball in 2022. Um, and we're getting back to that sense of normalcy and people by that time really do feel comfortable congregating and going into a stadium and concerts and those kind of things. That second half of that year, Yadier Molina, it's his farewell tour. Um, how important would he be about packing the stands? You know, do you feel like you, he would have a sellout that he's the guy that draws a lot of people, even if the team was bad, which I don't think they would be bad. I think they'd be really good because a lot of the uh, the the numbers in terms of the salaries are off the books next year and the Cardinals will go for it and spend some money and bring other players in. And again, I'm getting way ahead of the game here, but you bring let's just say you bring him back on a two-year deal. Um, is that part of what you're thinking about in bringing him back now in year two of what he could bring to through the, uh, the turnstiles, you know, and a lot of your promotional stuff is mm-hmm. based on Yachty Hat Day, Yachty T-Shirt Day, Yachty Bobblehead, Yachty Giveaways, you know, those kind of things because he is such a popular player in this town. And if you're the Cardinals and you want to get back to 3.4 million tickets sold, what you have to do is look for that group of people, that family of four, that couple, that family reunion that wants to see Yadi one more time down that stretch in 2022. Absolutely. That's got to be part of it. But you have to be convinced that he's going to be there for you to, to play and that all of those things that you're talking about, which I think are incredibly valuable in terms of bringing fans into the stands, you got to make sure that you can pull that off. I still and, and by the way, my family, I, I would take my family to go see him one more time. By the way, I still think he's a hell of a player. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still think he's a hell of a player. And here's the other thing I, I, I look at. I'm not sure the answer's in-house. So when... When you had a truncated season of 60 games and you had Matt Wieters as the backup and you had 11 doubleheaders in 45 days mm-hmm. or whatever it was, 44 days, whatever the case was, and he's hobbling around with a broken toe or whatever the case, I can't remember now. It's yeah, it was a toe. You're right. Yeah, and he's having trouble getting back in a catcher stance and he was still searching for his first hit a month into the season and Andrew Kisner wasn't up. I got to wonder, was why you know so did you feel that Kisner wasn't ready or why why wasn't he here so um is he then the answer to catch 120 games and if not then bring back Yachty uh, you know now are you, are you gonna have to fight Yachty to play 120 games or are you gonna have to fight him to play 140 is so and and Herrera is still two years away mm-hmm. I saw him in spring training he's gonna be a good player but he's probably two years away so these are all things you got to answer too I, me personally, I'd love to see him back. Now, that's me looking at it as I, th- I still think he can help this team, but I also look at it as the fandom in me, too. I want to see him finish his career as a Cardinal. I, I just think it's really important. Agreed. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, what are they thinking in Cleveland about the change of the name of the Indians? Paul Hoynes, who covers the Indians for Cleveland.com, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Voice of the Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Major news out of Cleveland on Sunday night and, of course, during the course of this week. And Cleveland has the Browns that they're talking about, too. But the Cleveland Indians officially announced yesterday that they are going to change their name. And joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is Paul Hoynes, the longtime beat writer for 
Cleveland.com, who joins us on 101 ESPN. Paul, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you guys doing this morning? Everything's very well here in St. Louis. I want to start with this because I, I can't imagine, with as close to the organization as you are, that you were surprised that all of this came out. No, not at all. Uh, as soon as they announced in July that they were consi- that they were doing research into perhaps changing the name, you knew the name was going to change. You know, they had dropped the Chief Wahoo logo after the 2018 season. Then, uh, you know, it was only a matter of time before I think the, the name changed. Are the fans happy about it? Are they middle ground with it? Are they upset? What's the reaction in uh, in Cleveland? I don't think they're too happy with it. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the majority of fans knew this was coming, uh, but they're still, um, you know, this is a, they've been called the Cleveland Indians since uh, 1915, over a hundred years. You know, I grew up in Cleveland. um, So, you you know, you grow up with a name. It, it, I don't think uh, it becomes a part of you if you're a baseball fan. And I don't think it was, um, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I don't think it was a question of, um, you know, diver- yeah, I mean, uh, you know, racial, uh, you know, injustice. I think it was just a name for a lot of people, but, you know, times change. And I think it's it's probably time for a change to, uh, to you know, to, to get a new name for the ball club. Paul Hoynes with us. He uh, writes for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. He's joining us on 101 ESPN. And uh, Paul, I want to touch on the tipping point here. Do you you think the Redskins name change was the tipping point for this, or do you think something would have happened anyway? Uh, You know, I think something would have happened anyway. I think the, 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 the organization was getting pressure from Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, went into uh, dropping the logo uh, when they played in the uh, 2016 uh, ALCS in, in Toronto. You know, there was a movement from uh, Native American people in, in Toronto to, uh, you know, not have them wear, their, wear the logo in, in Toronto in, during the ALCS. And, you know, the, the clubhouse guy had two sets of uniforms if the, judge, if the ruling had gone against the uh, ball club. So I think that kind of set it off. But, you know, I think the uh, the social unrest this summer, the death of George Floyd, uh, you know, that really changed the tenor in the country. And with the ball club, I think they wanted to become more of a social institution that can promote change in the city. And it's hard to do that, to go into, uh, you know, if you're going to talk to, uh, you know, suppressed minorities or, um, you know, people of color, when you when your your organization is is nicknamed the Indians or you know is deemed by many to be uh, you know un, in, unjust, so I think that had something to do with it. And then also, you know, I think the the change from the Washington you know, the Washington Redskins changed their name. I think that gave them impetus. I don't think they wanted to uh, you know have their sponsors put pressure on them like happened in Washington. So, you know, I think it was all, you know, kind of a, all kind of rolled into one there. Some might say, if you're going to change your name, why not just do it right now and make sure it's ready to go and roll out in spring training of 2021? Uh, they've said they're not going to do that. They're going to keep it for this year. Now, that would maybe some naysayers, Paul, might say, well, you got to sell some merchandise in 2021. Why not just do it right now? 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, they're still selling cheap Wahoo uh, uh-huh. uh, merchandise. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the bottom line is always the bottom line. But I think there is, you know, some, some sense they've got a lot of signage around the ballpark. You know, they've got that big Indian sign above the scoreboard. I think that, that all goes into this, you know, uh, so you have a, a, a run-up to, to the name change. You, I guess, create some public interest. You know, I don't know how they're going to, you know, what they're going to, how they're going to, you know, come up with a new name or are the fans going to vote on it? I I don't know. But I think, you know, the the drumbeat goes on, so to speak. Paul Dolan, the owner, said in his letter that, quote, I sincerely believe Cleveland is the most important part of our team name. Could you envision a situation? I know that Washington said that they might stick with Washington football team for the foreseeable future. Could you see with his comment there them being the Cleveland baseball team? No, they will. They will not do that. They, uh, you know, after the 2021 season, they'll have a they'll have a name. They're not going to do that like a generic name like that. I hope not. I'd hate to be a headline writer doing that <laughs> with a name like that. So what are you thinking as a guy who grew up as a, as a fan and you know it's not going to be Indians and you've seen prospective names, what do you like? I've seen names on top of names. I've written <laughs> stories about names. I, you know, I'm saying this facetiously. Uh, my, my favorite is the Cleveland Walleye. You know, Lake Erie is full of walleyes, so uh, the great fish, you know, this is a great game fish, so maybe that'll be the name. Do you think they'd give a nod maybe to the Negro Leagues and uh, and do something with that? Well, they could, you know, uh, definitely. You know, the Cleveland Buckeyes right. you know, were a great Negro League team here. They won the Negro League World Series. They played at Old League Park. So there, there's some deep roots, you know, in, 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 uh, in that vein, definitely. I'm curious, as a guy that uh, covers this team, um, you could understand the interest in maybe a Francisco Lindor. Let's just switch gears right now. What's going to happen with Francisco Lindor? Well, if I was a betting man, I would bet he'd be wearing a different uniform come opening day 2021. How much is it going to cost, by the way, just in your opinion, once a team trades for him and if they want to sign him, how much do you think it would cost to try to keep him? Is he in that Mookie Betts uh, stratosphere? Yeah, I would think anything that that any contract that would convince Lindor not to you know become a free agent is going to have to start with a three and have about nine zeros after it. So kind of a Paul Hoynes type uh, salary, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but there's a decimal point in everything. All the numbers come after the oh, decimal point. Oh, I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> Paul, great info. Thanks so much for the time this morning. We do appreciate it. Have a, have a great day and a great holiday season. Same with you guys. Thanks. Take Thank care. you very much. That's Paul Hoynes of Cleveland.com talking about the name change and I your last question was one that we all wanted to know, and that's why the Cardinals won't have Francisco Lindor. If the salary is going to start with a three, and it's not going to be three million, it's going to be thirty million. Then that just doesn't fit the Cardinals' modus operandi. Not in COVID nineteen, I wouldn't think. No, um, I wouldn't uh, anticipate that. I, I do have a question for you. If the uh, Cleveland baseball team is doing this, are the Braves next? Are the Chiefs next? I don't see how they can avoid it. That's I agree. This all got started because 
corporate partners of the Redskins sure. went to to Dan Snyder and said, look, we aren't going to support you anymore if you don't change the name. It comes down to the money and the corporate right. partners. So if you're a corporate partner of the Chiefs, of the Braves, of the Blackhawks, then I would think that because other corporate corporations have gotten on board with applying that pressure, that their partners will too. It's the pressure of losing those dollars right. to those teams that they say, we, we can't we stand losing that kind of money, uh, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to to say, you know, well, we'll just take the pressure of that and deal with it. There's no way. No. There is no way. Hey, if Dan Snyder in the NFL wasn't going oh, to deal with if it, he then, did no, it. Right, then no, nobody's going to deal with that pressure. I, I would assume, too, now that baseball has done it with Cleveland, it's it's got to be coming with Atlanta. And yeah. we saw that firsthand with what was happening with St. Louis and with Ryan Helsley. You know, Ryan Helsley dealt with that a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Great he was, point with the he, chop. He, yeah, he was very upset about that. Understandably so. So I, I would assume that, that that's going to happen. I'm with you. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. All right, it is the fight. And uh, I am Dan filling in for Michelle. And we have Matt from Chicago who is back for the fight. And Matt, uh, welcome into 101 ESPN. How are you this morning, Matt? Are hey, you Dan, with us? What an honor! How you doing? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I understand that you defeated Randy Carricker yesterday. Congratulations! Oh, I sure did. Thank How you. About thank that, you, man. Uh, are yeah, you a, sure. a, a a constant listener to this program? Yeah, pretty much every morning. Uh, I'll switch on and off between podcasts and ESPN Radio every day. Wow, what a what a win over Randy. You know, Randy's pretty darn good at this. There's not many that defeat Randy, so congratulations, man. Thank you, thank you. So are you a native Chicago uh, person or what? Chicagoan? Yeah, Chicago, Chicago born and raised. So why are you listening? I mean, I'm happy, but why are you listening to St. Louis Radio? Uh, I mean, I moved here about five years ago. I actually worked near the stadium. Uh, huge baseball fan. Love baseball. Baseball number one. Cubs fan number two. So, uh, you know, the Cardinals are a great organization, uh, one of the best, you know, ever do it, organizations in any sport, whatsoever, you know, whatsoever. So, Well, God love you. It's, uh, it's, it's, good, it's good radio, too. Uh, all the personalities on the uh, station are great. Well, God love you. Spread the word in Chicago, will you, please? Will do, will do. Uh, all right, here we go. It's the fight. Here's question number one. <clears throat> this might be right up your alley. So Tanner came up with this question, right up your alley. Who was Lovey Smith's? quarterback when he and the Bears made the Super Bowl in 2007? A, Rex Grossman. B, Jay Cutler. C, Kyle Orton. That would be Rex Grossman. Uh, Number two, on this date in 1997, the San Francisco 49ers retired Joe Montana's number. What was his number with the 49ers? Was it A, 10, B, 16, C, 19? It'd be 16. Okay. I'll just give you a hint. You're off to a good start. Um, who was the uh, last Cardinal to drive in more than 130 runs batted in in a season? Was it A, Mark McGuire, B, Albert Pujols, or C, Joe Torre? 
Pujols. Okay. Four, where is the NHL Hall of Fame located? A, Toronto, B, Buffalo, C, Detroit. Oh, I'm not sure on this one. Um, I'm going to go Buffalo. Okay. Let's bring in uh, Randy Carricker. By the way, Matt, uh, what part of Chicago are you located? Uh, I'm actually, I live in St. Louis, but uh, I'm from uh, about 10 minutes away from uh, Wrigley. Ah, okay. Wrigleyville, huh? Yes, sir. Nice. You've been to Wrigley a bunch of times, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah, all my life. It's my oh. favorite place in the world, I'd say. It's a great place. Uh, yeah, Randy, say good morning again to Matt. Matt, welcome back. Great to have you with us again. Thanks, thanks, Randy. How you doing? Everything's good. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. You know, Randy really doesn't mean that because when Randy gets beat, he does have kind of a mean streak. I just want, let's just be honest about the whole thing. You want to be <laughs> yeah, honest about that, Matt? If I get beat fair and square, I'm completely good. But no, if you're I not. get beat on gotcha questions, that's what frustrates me. You, were you beat yesterday on a gotcha? No. Yesterday was legit. Matt got me. Okay. All right. You ready to go? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Who was Lovey Smith's QB when he and the Bears made the Super Bowl in 2007? Sexy Rexy. Rex Grossman is our quarterback. On this date, 1997, the 49ers retired Joe Montana's number. What was his number with the 49ers? 16. Who was the last Cardinal to drive in more than 130 runs batted in in a season? Ooh, 130. I don't think Holiday ever did it. I don't think Beltron got to 130. Um... So I think I'm going to go all the way back to Albert in 2010. Let's see. how I can't imagine. No, Holiday and Beltron didn't. So I'm going to go back to uh, Albert. Where is the NHL Hall of Fame located? Toronto, eh? Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker! you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Are you, are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Okay. Matt came up one answer short. All right, who is Lovey Smith's QB when he and the Bears made the Super Bowl? You both were correct. It was Rex Grossman, and I believe that was in the that was the great uh, halftime show, wasn't it, with Prince and the Colts? It was. And the rain falling down. And in that year, 2006, on the night... That Seven, my, 2007. But it was the 2007 Super Bowl, 2006 right. season. Right. But that 2006 season, the Bears came into the Dome, and Scott Linehan saw fit to punt to Devin Hester, not once to have a touchdown return, but twice. That's right. And I was in that press box, in the Dome press box that night, that Mike Kitchen was fired by the Blues and Andy Murray was hired as their head coach. That also happened on that date in December of 2006. Rex Grossman was the QB. On this date, 1997, the Niners retired Joe Montana's number. His number with the 49ers was 16. Who was the last Cardinal to drive in more than 130 in a season? That was Albert Pujols, 135 back in 2009. Where is the NHL Hall of Fame located? That is Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Eight. And Matt went with Buffalo, New York. It is Toronto, Ontario. When you walk through the doors, I've been there multiple times. The first voice you hear... The great Dan Kelly. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great place. Hey, Matt, thanks for uh, playing. Uh, Keep it up. Keep listening to 101 ESPN. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You got it. Have a great day. 
Matt, who won yesterday, but uh, unfortunately takes the defeat today and will have a new challenger tomorrow. All righty. Hey, again, we want to reiterate thank you to everyone who donated for Carriker and Smallman's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser. We raised $13,316 to support the Little Bit Foundation and help local area students in need. Special thank you to our sponsors, Massage Lux, Doc's Harley-Davidson, T-Mobile, and Allstate agent Tracy Bibb. You can still donate by going to thelittlebitfoundation.org. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. So if we had a tiebreaker... And you have to look up a new one tomorrow, Tanner. Sorry. Okay. How many uh, $100 million-plus contracts have been signed in Major League history? Do you know how many? There have been pretty many. I'm going to go with right off the top of my head, and I would see if I had this question, I would think about it. But I'm going to go 25. 81. Wow. Is that shocking to you? That is, that, that it's that many. I would have gone, like, with 30. Yeah. 81 $100 million deals. Oh, I did a lot of work for that to be a tiebreaker. Sorry, Tanner. I know. You're going to have to go work a little harder tomorrow, That's I guess. Good 81. $8,100 million deals? Yikes. Wow. Last Sorry, Tanner. Last night, the factory of sadness became a factory of sadness again. I don't know if it was people that had bets on the game or if it was people that were just despondent. Well, it depends on what side you were on. Cleveland loss. Yeah, they were in the stands, though, at uh, oh, First okay. Energy Stadium. Yeah. And it got me to thinking about those poor Browns fans, what franchise and fan base (laughs) deserves a championship the most? And we want to hear from you. What franchise that hasn't won, in the NFL's case, a Super Bowl, or baseball, hockey, basketball, what franchise and their fan base would you like to see win a championship the most? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan, I was thinking last night as I was watching the Browns play that these uh, Browns fans, it's so cool for them because they've never had a team appear in a Super Bowl. And I'm thinking about franchises that haven't won their sports championship. And for the NFL's purposes, I'm making it, I'm going to call it the Super Bowl era. Okay. Because the Cleveland Browns won championships back in the 40s. But, and by the way, I know that this is kind of, it's jaggedy because the Indians did win in 1948, right around the same time that the Browns won. But I'm giving the Indians credit for a World Series. But because the Super Bowl is really when the NFL arrived, I'm going to go for football. You haven't been, haven't won a Super Bowl. Baseball, hockey, so right, NBA. Yeah. You're, you're basically going like the 50s on, roughly. Yeah, basically. All right. right. Yeah. Uh, teams that have not won a championship, and I'll throw Detroit in there too, even though they won in, I think, 57, the Detroit Lions. What franchise, what pro franchise that hasn't won, Daniel, would you like to see win for yourself, for the franchise itself, or for the fan base? Uh, I, I think off the top of my head, I'm going Buffalo Bills because... The fact that they're small market, they had the, the the great run of the four straight and the heartache, the heartbreak that they had against Dallas. Uh, I really like those teams with Thurman Thomas, Lofton, Jim Kelly. Um, great defenses that they had. Uh, Bruce Smith, they were so close. They didn't win. And 
I think, well, I saw life too, given there mm-hmm. at the anchor bar. I was at the anchor bar one <laughs> night and somebody was choking on a chicken wing and I saw the Heimlich. Really, seriously. And a guy did the Heimlich and his chicken wing went flying across the anchor bar. Ooh, that's impressive. Yeah. He, it went about 25 feet and he lived. So because of that and the combination of disappointment of the four straight Super Bowl losses, I think the Buffalo Bills, and they have an outdated stadium and yet they haven't left. Right. So Correct. I'm, I'm going with their ownership group. The fact that they're staying there, I'm staying with the Buffalo Bills. Heartache there. They haven't left. Mm-hmm. So I'm staying with a small market team in the NFL, heartache, Buffalo. Great call. Okay. And, Dan, it's really hard for me to not go with the Cleveland Browns, the factory of sadness. These people have lost their franchise yeah. for three years. They got a new one, an expansion franchise. Even when they're terrible, they still fill up that stadium. And... They've had high hopes for such a long time, but never been there. They've had the fumble. They had the drive. There probably hasn't been a more tortured fan base. Dog pound. Yeah. Who was the the lead of the dog pound that you and I would have on? uh, Big Dog. Big Dog was on with us all the time. Yeah. We loved him. Yeah, he was great. great. So that fan base definitely deserves it. But I'm going more personal here. For me, it's the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, I'm torn because they left here. Yes, they did. I'm with you. Because and it's not because of their fan base in Arizona. It's because of no, their fan base here. That, that's right. I'm with you, but I, I got to stop because they left here. That's my only problem with them. The fact that they left here, it, it, it just still tears me apart. I'm still a Cardinal fan. I am. Well, and I am, but I, I'm just still torn, though. I don't know why. Here's the thing. When, I got to get over it, I guess. I when, don't know. When the Rams left, St. Louis did everything they could. We bent over backwards and to we try didn't to do keep it with them. them. I, I, and I, I, yeah. At that time, 1987, you could lose money with an NFL franchise. And the Bidwell family's business was football. They right. didn't have a billion dollars. They they weren't a big corporation. They made and lost their living on having an NFL team. And it, when they left, Neil Lomax was one of the top three paid quarterbacks in the league. Louis Sharp was highest paid left tackle. Roy Green was highest paid wide receiver. They had a high payroll and they were capable of losing money. And a, a stadium, which Mr. Bidwell couldn't afford at that time, wasn't forthcoming publicly. So he basically was forced into moving. So I give them a little bit of leeway there. And they've done things still as they've gone to Arizona for this community. For this community, right. right. So from that standpoint, and Michael Bidwell's a good guy, I would like to see them win, followed closely by the Browns. But, man, you look around at... All the franchises that haven't won championships that have been around for a really long time. And you can text us 65780 from the 618. Grew up in Tennessee, moved here during the Super Bowl. I need the Titans to bring it home. It's been a rough 20 years living here with all these Rams fans. (laughs) So the Titans are are one from the 636. The Jaguars need to win a Super Bowl before they depart Jacksonville, possibly led by Justin Fields. So we want to hear from you. What? Pro sports franchises that hasn't won, would you like to see win? I don't know, Dan, if if there's a single baseball franchise that I say, okay, I really feel bad for their group of fans. I'd like to see Seattle. Mm-hmm. Seattle would be one for me because they were so close to moving before Griffey and that group that won 
what year was that, Randy? With uh, two thousand one. Yeah, that oh, no, was 95. 95 over yeah. the Yankees. Yeah. That was a great win because they were close to moving. They were close to moving yeah. a couple times. And remember, they had a team, and then they left, and then they came back. And um, so that would be a team that would be mm, that would be one that would probably yeah. I, I would enjoy. They've got a beautiful ballpark. They play, and they have a, truff, a very tough travel schedule being in the great Northwest. It's not easy. That would be one. It's a great sports town, too. Seattle really is a is. very good sports town. That would be one that I would pull for. I'll tell you another group that has really long-suffering fans, and they're right down the highway. Indiana Pacers have been around yeah. forever. And they're good teams. In, in the basketball mecca. Yes. If you're not talking about New York, Indiana, I mean, that that's basketball. Especially when Bird was coaching and they had Reggie, yep. and, they, and they just went up against the bad boy Knicks. I mean, that was kind mm-hmm. of a fun era of basketball. They unfortunately it was Michael's heyday. They couldn't get out of the East. Right. You know that was that was good. Um, I also think too, if your city has won with other teams. Now you're talking about Cleveland. But Cleveland finally got over the hump with LeBron. If you think about Minnesota, like we've had some people say, well, the Vikings. Well, Minnesota, though, had some winning years with the Twins. Mm-hmm. So Cleveland wins with the, uh, the, the you know, with LeBron. Um, I'm looking here. Let's see. Uh, mm, From the 618, the Toronto Maple Leafs haven't won since the 60s. And their fans yeah. are loyal. Yeah. And, and that's a, a group that... I'll tell you what, when they win again, that town is going to go bananas. Let's see. A's deserve a championship. Now, I'd give them some credit. They have a loyal fan base, but yet you got the Bay Area. Yeah. So you got a lot of teams in that area. And they won in 89. It's And, and they were dominant with Tony's teams in 88, 89, 90, going to the World Series all those years. And then the three in a row in the 70s. So there, there's a large group of Oakland people that remember the A's winning multiple championships. Let's see. The Houston Astros, their fan base does not deserve to have a championship. Now, that's debatable. But they got one anyway. They did. Yeah, that's true. Um, Let's see. The The, thing about, uh, if you want to say grew up in Tennessee, the only thing is your city is exploding. By yeah. the way, you you have you got a great city. Yeah, it Nashville might. is growing is just exploding. It's one of the best cities in the country. And Dave Dombrowski still says that he wants to get Nashville a major league franchise, and they're still working toward it. Cincinnati, anything? Well, Dave Dombrowski's now with the Phillies, right? But he he said even though he took that job, that he's going to remain with the efforts to get a team oh, in Nashville. Yeah. I didn't see that. Cincinnati, anything? Uh, and, and Cincinnati, you had the big red machine. I don't. I totally get the Bengals situation though, because that's been another factory of sadness. And you did have a couple of heartbreaking Super Bowl losses to the Forty ers in the eighties. So, and the the Marvin Lewis era, you go to the playoffs five straight years and don't win a playoff game. Yeah. that's pretty frustrating. Utah Jazz. That's not a bad one. No, that's not a bad one at all. You had the uh, the great combo there with Malone and Stockton. Uh, <laughs> Red Wings, haha, character. Well, and and they've won a lot. What we're talking about is teams, franchises that haven't won. Orlando Magic. It's another good one. They've been to the finals. Had Penny and Shaq, yeah. lost Shaq. And then went with Dwight Howard, went yes, to the finals too against the Lakers and Didn't couldn't win. pull it off. So, and right now, you know, you don't think about it because we're a non-NBA city. That's a, a pretty long-suffering franchise now. That's like 30 years, right? Older than 30 oh, yeah. years. San Diego Padres. What do you think of the Padres? Well, you have a I great th- you have great weather, so you you get a notch in the tough in my category, you know. 
hard to feel bad for them. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Go drown your sorrows in that weather. Go to the beach. Yeah. Uh, Padres, they're they're close. They're going to be awfully close. Yeah, because they got such a great nucleus. The key with them will be able to keep all that talent. You know, can yeah. they can they keep Tatis? Can they? You know. That, that's going to be the key for them. When you have Machado and Hosmer, are right. you going to be able to keep to Tatis? Tatis. Right. right. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, the Blues have a new assistant general manager, Ryan Miller. No, it's not the goalie Ryan Miller. It's a Ryan Miller that's been around for a long time with the Blues. He joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Nine oh two in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I opened an email from the St. Louis Blues yesterday, and I was so excited to read that longtime Blues executive Ryan Miller has been promoted to be assistant general manager to GM Doug Armstrong. And Ryan Miller joins us now on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle is out. Dan McLaughlin is here. Ryan Miller, thanks for taking some time with us this morning, and congratulations. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm real happy to be with you. Tell me about your new role, Ryan, and, and how this uh, and a new title and how this changes from what you were doing with the club. Um, a lot of the day to day parts of it will be will be similar to what I've done for a long time here. You know, those uh, the things, the salary cap management, the player market analyses, the CBA, the arbitration, the the nuts and bolts stuff of it of of helping the team function and making making everybody's job around me a little bit easier. Um, we'll still continue, uh, just with the, with the elevation comes, a you know, there's a little bit of increased responsibility in terms of seeing the big picture and understanding kind of how decisions we make now affect the future and affect other parts of the organization. Um, in a, you know, in a, a hockey administration or hockey operations role, you're doing a lot of supporting, a lot of giving information and giving things to the heads of departments and your, your scouting and your development and your management and in uh, with this with this promotion, I'm I'm being entrusted with the the responsibility of of seeing down the road and being a um, one of the, the the people who who is charged with understanding how these things work and what's going on down the line. And there's also a level of increased accountability. You know, naturally, being in an elevated role means that you're a little more closely associated with the team's uh, success and failure. You get a little bit bigger share of the credit when things go well and a little bit bigger share of the, the blame when things don't go so well. But um, it's all a, a challenge I think, I think I'm prepared for and I'm really excited to take on. Well, first of all, we'll never blame you. We'll find somebody else. We'll find another sca- scapegoat. But you've had the chance to be around in that front office, some really good hockey people, in addition to Doug Armstrong, Bill Armstrong, Martin Brodeur, Larry Robinson. I have to believe that those associations are really going to benefit you in your new role. Oh, well, a hundred percent. And it goes, it goes all the way back to 2010. You know, there are um, too many people really, you know, to list, to go down the list. You named a few of them. I, the, the illustration that I give to people is when I walked in, you know, 26 years old, a year out of law school with only a, a couple of years of experience on the agent side, I walked into an office where uh, you had Doug Armstrong, John Davidson, Al McGinnis, and Larry Plough <laughs> all, all sitting there. And that is a, you know, decades of experience, Stanley Cups, you know, awards, Norris trophies, all that, all of that experience. Um, how could you not not learn from it and try to try to take all that in? And 
and we've we've had people, excellent people, the best uh, associated with our organization over the years. You know, Dave Taylor, and you mentioned Larry and Marty, and um, you know, there it's it's been a a really ideal situation for for a young person to come in and to learn how to do the job with with class and with dignity. And I can't uh, can't express enough gratitude to to Doug and to Mr. Stillman and and Z on the business side for allowing me to be a part of it and giving me an opportunity to contribute. Analytics, we hear about that so much in sports, <laughs> and I, I'm so curious a, about hockey and, and analytics in the game of hockey. Can you try to explain analytics in the game of hockey and how that works? Um, I, I can try to explain to you a little <laughs> bit of how we treat it. I think if you ask 31 different people in 31 yeah. different front offices, you'd probably get 31 different answers sure. probably. Dan, probably similar to, to baseball, as, as different as baseball is in this realm. But uh, we have always, and the, the, the term that I've used or the phrase that I've used with our groups over the years has been that analytics is another tool in the toolbox, right? Is the same way you might, you might address uh, a scout who's sitting at the table during your meetings. Um, you understand with, with a new scout or with, with any scout, you understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. And sometimes they will be very persuasive in making a decision. And other times they may disagree with what you do. And that is how our group has, has addressed analytics over the years. It's a tool that we use to gather information. And there are, there are some decisions you make, some moves that you make that, um, that are strongly supported by statistical evidence and that type of thing. And there are other decisions you make where you, you go in knowing that that um, if you left it up to, to the numbers only, or if you left it just to the analytics, that um, you would make a different decision. And we have, we have always considered it to be one of the, the voices, so to speak, at the, at the table. There's always a, a role for it. We've had different people in that role over the years. I did it for, for one year. Um, and, and, you know, early on, I, I sort of helped us develop some of the things that we use today. But the other thing I have to note is how, um, I've been impressed over the years coming from an academic, non-playing, non-coaching background. I've been impressed with the people that we have had in our organization being so open to considering new ways of looking at things, new ways of understanding player evaluation, new ways of understanding team success. And that's not to say it's always accepted at face value, but I think we've had a group that has been extraordinarily ready to engage in things and engage in the conversation in a way that, uh, that I don't think is universal. So we, we, use, we use analytics to ask a lot of questions and, and maybe not provide as many answers, but it really, I think it pushes our organization forward the way that we integrate it into, into our daily lives. Okay, Ryan, so help me out here. I, I, as you sure. may know, I, I do baseball, so I hear exit velocity, I hear launch angle, <laughs> I hear all these different things, and I try to dive into the numbers in baseball. So in hockey, without giving away trade secrets, what are some of just the basic analytics in hockey? Like, what are some of the terms that, that you guys use with analytics in hockey? What are some of those things? I think with the evolution of it, one that is, is widely publicly available, that I think it is, has advanced beyond shot attempt differentials, is the expected goal value. Okay. I think that that's, a, that that's one thing that you can look at and there are each different source, each different organization has maybe a little bit different way of, of expressing it. But expected goals is, a, is an umbrella term that gives you an idea, at least attempts to give you an idea of all the things that are occurring um, 
you know, around a certain player's performance or around a, a, a game or whatever it is that takes out things like, you know, systemic noise, random chance, those types of things. Now, can you, can you ever totally remove those things? I, I, I don't believe so. At least I haven't seen anybody be able to do it. But if you approach it by um, expecting it to, to ask some more questions or to take your analysis and, and push it forward and make you think about something you hadn't thought about before, I think uh, expected goals is a really, a really solid uh, evolution in the in the hockey analytics area. Ryan Miller, promoted to Blues assistant GM, joining us here on 101 ESPN. How did you get started as a guy who was, like you said, a year out of law school, and you mentioned you didn't have a playing or coaching background? How did you find your way into the Blues front office? <laughs> it's a it's a funny story, and I'll I'll keep it as short as I can, but. I was in my uh, second year of law school, and I had just transferred to the University of Denver with two friends of mine from uh, Michigan State, and they wanted to take a sports law class. And it was, and I, I kind of I dismissed it. I said, guys, we're, this is not on the bar exam. It's nothing any of us are ever going to do professionally. Why would you take sports law? And I went and took a, a corporations class, a good, solid thing that I thought would be applicable to whatever I ended up doing after law school. Well, you know, uh, push comes to shove. These guys come approach me one day and say, you wouldn't believe what happened today. We had a, a, pub, a guest speaker in our class. He's a hockey agent. He's looking for an intern and he needs a hockey nut who's in law school. And we, we thought, we, <laughs> we thought you might be interested. I said, you know, guys, I, I know somebody who fits that description. And uh, I went in and interviewed for the, uh, for the internship and, uh, uh, Kurt was, was gracious. I was KO sports and based in Denver. And he was mm-hmm. gracious enough to, to hire me and to give me opportunities and exposure to, to work on things like arbitration cases to do, you know, foundational research for negotiations to, you know, have interactions with players on, you know, the contracts that bind players to their agents. I dealt with, you know, players like Brandon Dubinsky and Travis Zajac and Ryan Kessler, who were, who were his, uh, Kurt's main clients at the time. And, uh, and once I got, once I got in there, we had a good, a good synergy. I, I, I mean, based on the evidence, I think I did a, did an okay job for him. And, uh, what happened was, uh, Josh Flynn, who's, who's in Columbus, uh, as the assistant general manager there, he was an intern, the intern before me, and he kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. And when I saw what he did going to Columbus and working for a team, I, I thought that was about the coolest thing that I had ever seen anybody do. And, uh, and, and Kurt, helped me in my job search and introduced me to people around the league. And this is at the time where uh, Larry Plow is the GM of the blues, but Doug is in the front office and the, the succession plan is kind of, is kind of publicly known. And, uh, and Doug, Doug said, you know, there may be, I may need something like that. Uh, if you're, if you're still available when, when we make the transition here. So we, we kept in touch and then, uh, and, and went through an interview process with Doug and, the rest, as they say, is history. Hey, before we let you go, uh, Ryan Miller, one more thing. It's got to be heartening and fun to have landed in a place where, as Doug always says, we are a cap team, we're aggressive. Uh, when, when you went out and signed Tory Krug, you could be in a front office where you, you don't have the resources and you don't have the aggressiveness that the Blues have here. I would think that makes the job a lot more fun. Oh, it makes it more fun. It makes it more enriching. You get... You, you get out what you put in. If if uh, if we weren't a team that was so dedicated to to putting an A plus team on the ice every year, and that and that comes right from the top, obviously right through 
hockey operations, the business side, if we weren't so committed to, to being close to the cap and to investing in the, in the players on the ice, I wouldn't have uh, nearly the, the expertise or the experience that, that I have now, the things that we've, we've done over the years. You know, we've, we've had to do some things that not a lot of teams have done. We've gone from being a team that never used long-term injury to using LTI. We have tried to sign players out of, out of Europe and all of that. Like you said, it makes it more fun. It makes it more interesting, but it also uh, it makes you a more complete, uh, a more complete employee or a more, more complete assistant general manager, as it were. Ryan, congratulations on the promotion. I'm so excited for you, and hopefully some point we'll have a season where I can see you at the rink. <laughs> yep. Well, we, uh, we can't wait to, to safely pack 17,000 people back into Enterprise Center, and I can't wait to, to see you, Randy, Dan, and, and everybody else for sure. We're right. looking forward to it. Thank take, you so much. Take care. Happy holidays. Thank you, guys. Happy holidays. You too. That's Brian Miller, promoted to assistant general manager by the St. Louis Blues yesterday. And a decade of hard work in the front office pays off. It's good to see people like that succeed. Love those stories. Uh, Hearing more and more about guys like that that have an interest in the sport. And we're seeing it because of the advent of analytics, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. That's that's just the way it's it's going. Um, You know, some guys that, that don't have the background of whether they played or and and this goes for female folks too that they find a way into front offices because they're smart they're bright they understand the numbers and there's a value to that there's a place for those people and they're in the they, cardinal general manager mike gersh sent emails to all 30 major yeah. league baseball teams and the cardinals were the team that responded and gave him a, a lower level position and he worked his way up look at what happened with the miami marlins yeah, perfect example. You know, yeah. there's there's a spot. They understand. There's yep. a there's a need. So yeah, these people are are smart. They're bright. They understand the industry and they understand where it's going too. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, whether you like sabermetrics and analytics and all those things, that's where the industry is in all sports. And those people are needed. Anal- obviously, analytics determine the value of an athlete. That's one thing Yadier Molina is trying to determine right now. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Cardinal broadcaster Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle Smallman with Randy Carricker. Fellow Cardinal broadcaster Benji Molina joined the Fast Lane yesterday to talk about the free agency of his brother Yachty. And Benji said one of the things that Yachty is trying to figure out right now is what he might be able to do for other teams and how valuable what he does is. He's finding out how valuable. That's a big, big word valuable he could be for another teams when when you're talking about the 37 38 year old and you know Wayne Ray same way when you're talking about these kids they have five six seven teams behind them even when they're 38 that tells you how valuable how valuable he is or they are to their team and for us to have this guy in already and and then let him go is going to be devastating for the fans. It's going to be devastating for everybody in St. Louis if he if he goes. But 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 he's doing good. He's doing good. He's enjoying it. But the really bad thing for us as a Cardinal fan right now is that he's finding out how valuable he is or he could be for other teams. And if he does find a team that deems him to be more valuable financially than the Cardinals do, 
then best of luck to Yachty because he deserves to be happy and he deserves the opportunity to win. That being said, I, I think it said something about his value to the New York teams, at least, when the Mets went out and they didn't sign JT Real Muto. They signed McCann to a four-year mm-hmm. deal worth $40 million. And the Yankees decided to tender Gary Sanchez, who did not have a good year last year, but is 26 years old. And I do think that one of the things that determines your value in Major League Baseball now, Dan, is your age. And a 38-year-old catcher probably doesn't have as much value as a 30-year-old catcher. Well, Molina right now is sixth among catchers in games played since the start of 2018. He's still above average throwout rate in base stealers. Um, you got to remember what he does in scouting hitters, understanding the league. And so the value, if we're talking about value, it's defensive portion of his game. Definitely. It's, it's the defensive side. And improving young pitchers. And that's very important. So when you have Zach Thompson coming, you got Matthew Libertor coming. So if, if Benji's talking about his values, values on the defensive side. How much do you want to pay for that? How much do you want to pay for legacy? Those are the values. The offensive side, it's hit and miss. It's not going to be for power. It's not going to be for slug because you're not getting that from Yachty. That's that's just what it is. It's, But the game today in 2020 is slugging and power. So you're probably not going to get it from that position for the Cardinals. But the value from Yachty's perspective is defense. And some of the numbers I just got uh, gave you, it's throwing out base stealers, controlling the uh, running game, uh, having a value of controlling, um, being a, you know, a coach on the field, understanding the value of what he does for a young pitching staff, which the Cardinals have. And let's face it, going forward, this division can be had. And mm-hmm. how, how are the Cardinals going to win this year? Pitching. You know, right, right now, currently right. constructed, they're not going to probably beat you offensively. Now, there's some things that they could do. You know, you're hoping that Dylan Carlson's going to be better. You still have Paul Goldschmidt. Paul DeYoung, you got to hope, has a better finish to his seasons than he's had in the past. Um, one of those young outfielders steps up. That's hope. I mean, that's what you're hoping. Carpenter bounce. I mean, all those things that we've talked about. But the value with Molina are those things on the defensive side. And because of that, Dan... And the fact that he says his main goal is to win another championship. He said last week to a Dominican TV station that the four teams that showed interest were the Yankees, Mets, Angels, and Padres. The I'm going to throw the Nationals in there, too. I, I think the Nationals could be Although I, I, I think that they could be one, but I think they're probably eyeing Real Muto now. Probably, because yeah. Because he, he's the main yeah, guy. Yeah. But I look at San Diego with their offense, which can carry a bat like Yachty's, with their young pitching, and they're going to bring up uh, uh, Mackenzie Gore. They've got Lamette. They've got Paddock. They've got young pitching that he could help bring along. In terms of serving him, in terms of giving him the best opportunity to win another title, and him serving a team with his value, that might be the best match if everything financially could work out. Do you think a wild card in there would be Tony La Russa? I have to think it would be. Now I, I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, now you've, you've given Grandal $75 million. And the, the numbers say that right now Grandal is better defensively yeah. than Yachty is. Mm-hmm. But it, it'd be interesting. I mean, we know the relationship that those two yep. have. And you know the window to win for the White Sox is short with Tony. Mm-hmm. You'd have to think. 
Um, Tony's 76 years old, and they're showing that they want to win now by going to get Eaton, going to get Lance Lynn, and Yachty's window is more than likely short. Tony's window is short. And I, I don't think, know. I'm just throwing it out no, there. I, I think there's one other aspect to this, and that is with a team with a lot of young Latin players like Robber and uh, Abreu isn't young, but he, he hasn't been around Tony. Uh, Eloy think, Jimenez. Yep. I think Yadi Molina provides a great buffer to try to explain to young players the intensity of Tony Larusa yeah. and say, okay, I, I get that you're upset, but here's why he's doing what he's doing. Sure. I mean, he, he would be the exact guy you'd want to explain. This is why he does what he right. does. Um, but Yadi's going to want to play every day. Yachty's going to want to be that guy. And they don't have Encarnacion anymore. I don't know if Grandal would want to DH every day. That's the question. He'd have to go there. Yeah. To that position. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I still, though, believe that I know Yachty wants to win every day. I still think you can win here, though, because of this division. I think you can. But your best chance to win a title when you're in a league with the Dodgers and the Padres most specifically. And you know that in the next two years, the Mets are going to load up. It looks like the Nationals are going to try to get back into it. You don't hire Dave Dombrowski without the idea of spending a bunch of money in Philly. I just wonder if from an overall standpoint in terms of winning the World Series, if this is a better spot. I think it's a better spot than Anaheim, but I don't know if it's a better spot than San Diego. But you also can say to Yachty, look, this year we have a chance with you coming back and maybe Wayno. You say, hey, you're going to have a chance to win this division. Mm -hmm. And once you get in, you don't know what's going to happen. We always say that. But we got a lot of money coming off the books. We're going to be aggressive. Understand we're going to be aggressive. You're going to have a chance to win here again. And oh, by the way, for your own personal understanding, you're going to have a chance to retire here. Your legacy is here. You're going to finish a Cardinal. Don't think for a second that's not important to him. That's it the biggest is. selling point, I think. Yeah, I, it's got to be. And I don't know if the Cardinals can assure him that they're going to be aggressive. They can tell him that, but I don't know if they can assure him. $56 million coming off the books? Yeah, but uh, I said yesterday, I, I really do think, and, and you know this better than I because you're around that club every day. I have to believe that pre-pandemic 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, that Bill DeWitt Jr. said, okay, this is the amount of money that we're going to have for this organization bankrolled for after the 2022 season. And I wonder if the pandemic plays a role there or if that target is still the same that okay this is what we want to have for this club available after the 2022 season and for that reason our payroll is going to go down it's definitely going down we just don't know how much and we don't know if it'll be back in 2022 we don't know the, the way no we don't but if i'm the cardinals i'm looking at 2022 in an ideal scenario i've got kisner I've got Gorman, I've got DeYoung, I've got Edmund, I've got Goldie, and then I've got my outfield. Uh, these guys work out, and I don't have to be overly aggressive. That's the, the, the ideal scenario for them. Well, the other thing is uh, we don't know what, and we've said this a lot, we don't know what 2021 is going to look like with income coming in or you know, fans in the stands, so we don't know what that budget's going to look like, and we don't know if we're going to have a season in 2022. But my point is, is that it could be that you have a feeling of a relaunch in 2022 of sports. 
of people feeling comfortable coming back to the ballpark. I think we're going to have some of that in 2021. I, th- I do think we're going to have fans in the stands in 2021, but 2022 is going to be the full relaunch of yep. feeling good about coming out. And at that point, you feel better about spending money. So you have a lot of money off the books. You feel better about spending money because you're comfortable that there's going to be plenty of people coming through the turnstiles. And you have five free agent short steps. That's a factor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the, no question. That's a big factor. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, is it better for the Blues to be a West competing against the big boys in the league, or would it be better to be in a less competitive Central Division? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. You, you hear from a couple of players, they like the idea of being in this tougher division. They like the idea of playing, being in a division against teams that are set to win, teams that can win teams that play a winning brand of hockey it keeps you sharper it makes you better uh it's the expectations of knowing what to bring every single night and uh there's some real value that says so uh, a a veteran aspect of looking at this but having heard all that i'm I'm perfectly fine just so long as we drop the puck and play that's the voice of the the truth chris kerber yesterday here on 101 espn dan mclaughlin randy Carricker with you and dan i liked the idea and still would prefer the idea of the Blues being in a division with the Blackhawks, with the Red Wings, having more starts that are compatible with the schedules of the Blues fan base. But I also understand that the Blues believe that they're really good, and to be in a division that would arguably have the four best teams in the West. You'd have the Blues, the Knights, the Golden Knights, the Avalanche, and the Stars— that would be a division that probably would produce your Stanley Cup champion. You, you had the Blues at 94 points. Colorado was 92. Vegas, 86. Dallas, 82. I wondered, too, about this. I, I heard Joey Vitale talk about this, and this doesn't, um, you know, fans can would probably say, ah, you know, this doesn't pertain to me. But this does pertain to, you know, the Blues are really a good, great road team. Um I've been on these trips, and you talk about how teams bond when they're on a road trip. And if we're in a COVID-19 situation and you're going to, let's say, oh, I don't know, Minnesota, Chicago, Columbus, Detroit, and it's the dead of winter, and so you're going to the rink and then your hotel room, Mm -hmm. and you can't walk around, you can't do a lot because you're, you're essentially kind of quarantining. You know, you're just going to the rink and hotel, rink hotel, and you're doing two-week road trips, which is probably what you're going to do, 10 to 14-day road trips to play as many games and stay on the road and then come home, play. You know, when you're going to the West Coast, one of the things you can do is get out. It's it's going to be warm weather. Get out, go play golf, do those kind of things. I don't know about you. I, I would think that would be better for them, and I know that the start times are not ideal for us as fans. Because you're going to have eight thirties and nines and nine thirties and those mm-hmm. kind of things. As crazy as it sounds, that might be better to get out. I don't think it's a great thing to be staying in your hotel room all the time and and you just kind of sit around and do those kind of things. I'm dead serious about what I'm saying. I don't think it's a great thing to be sitting around all the time. No, it's not. But I wonder if that's going to be dramatically different with the times that we're living in. Like you can't play golf in California right now, so. Uh, is that going to change in February? Or Actually, I've been talking to friends of mine that do. Oh, 
They do. Okay. Well, then if the Blues can find courses, that is a good thing. But just getting out, you know what I'm saying? Like not sitting around, things of that nature, right. bonding, getting out of your room. I, as crazy as that sounds, and you may look at me and say I'm being nuts about this, but I'm I'm serious, Randy. Sitting around in your room in the cold of dead winter in Chicago. Oh, I, is it? That, I mean, that's not beneficial for your body, your mind, those kind of no, things. Your, your mental, your mental health. health, those kind of things of just sitting around. I, I just don't think it's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I know some people are going to say that that's you know the least of their concerns, but those kind of things out on the West Coast for two weeks actually help you. Maybe just get out to the warm weather, get away from that kind of stuff, not being locked down. Maybe it helps. I don't know. Okay. And by the way, I, I was just looking specifically at Napa. I was thinking I was looking at the whole state. So in SoCal, you can get out and, and play, play golf. Some golf. Yeah. And I guess if these guys have a day off in, well, we don't know if they're going to be able to play in San Jose either, do we? That's right. By the way, what do you think is going to happen with some of these California teams? So if you're in L.A., you're in Anaheim, you're in San Jose, where do they, if you're starting in a month, can you play in these buildings? I guess in Southern California you can, but right. San Jose you won't be able to. Right. So, so where does San Jose go play? You going to go play in Vegas? Every game's a road game. So go play in Vegas, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah come play here. Right. I get, that's what they're going to have yeah. to do. Staples Center is full. Right. right? And I guess you could do Honda Center. Well, you, you could set up the schedule so that they're in Anaheim. You could do that because they're playing football. Or Vegas. You're yeah. playing football at SoFi, right? Right. So you can play in... Cal- uh, you could play at Staples. California. You can play at Staples. Yeah. So but, but the problem there. is you've got both the Lakers and the Clippers there, too. Yeah, but you could get you could figure that Four out. Four teams, you'd have to play some day games. Because you'd have Kings, Lakers, Clippers, Clippers, and then add a fourth, add the Sharks. Well, you, You're better off just splitting it. I don't think you have Vegas. anything else. Vegas or Anaheim. You yeah. Play at Honda Center. Either, either one of those would be fine. Right. You're not going to have fans in the stands anyway. No. So it's a difference. Go play somewhere else. Yeah, schedule it that way. I, I pre- do think that from a competitive standpoint, I get where Curbs is and the players are coming from. But as you know, Dan, in most situations, what I concern myself most, most with is me. And with, with with that being the case... See, I went off the beaten path of what I was thinking about the travel stuff. So you, let's get back to the yeah. focus point here. Yeah, at the end of the day, there it's only 16 games out there in the Pacific... I, yeah, six, 16 games in the Pacific time zone. Four each in L.A., Anaheim, San Jose, Vegas. Mm-hmm. So, And they're going to be playing some back-to-backs. Some games will be earlier. So it's not going to be that big of a deal. And... When you do get the opportunity to go to games, if you have it in you to travel and go to indoor games, going to games in Arizona or Vegas be kind of fun. Yeah, I, I would look forward to that. I agree with the competitive standpoint, by the way. It does keep you sharper. Yeah, it does. I, I would agree with that. Instead of playing, like Detroit had 39 points last year. I would assume, though, they're going to be better this year. Uh, last year, you looked at you know Carolina Columbus. Both had 81 points. The Hawks had 72 points. You know, I, I would the, the intriguing point though, if you were in the central, would be playing this year, kind of reuniting the rivalry of the Hawks and Detroit right. again. That would be kind of fun. That'd be fun, and seeing Tampa Bay, yeah, that many times would be fun too. Yeah, Stanley Cup champs, Pat Maroon. That part would be fun, right? But the the best teams, are, in my opinion, are in the West. There's no doubt. Yeah, it, it, that's 
maybe the best well, in normal times, the Western Conference in the NHL is the best conference in sports. If the Blues and the NHL start on the 13th, I've been under the impression that you need, and this is my sole opinion, you need 10 days of a training camp and you can start playing. Right. These guys are ready to go. Now, I know that some of these teams didn't go to the bubble, and there are others that believe that you need to have at least two weeks to get a few of these games in. I don't think so. I, I think you got to the 10 days start playing. These guys are in great shape and that's just the hand you're dealt. And those start teams, the, the seven that didn't play in the bubble, give them an extra week of training camp, start them a week from today or whatever, a week from Thursday and day after Christmas, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Give them an extra week to prepare for the season, but 10 days go. Yep. Oh, no, no doubt. So uh, you start on January 1st, you play games on January 13th. Yeah, you're good. You're yeah. A hockey. You're good. That's Dan. I'm Randy coming up. We're going to revisit your ideas of the teams, franchises, fan bases that haven't won a championship that you'd like to see win. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. And this just in from our friend Bob Nightingale at USA Today. He says, Major League Baseball executives and owners wanting players to be vaccinated before arriving to spring training would like the 2021 season to be delayed until May, even if it means shortening the season to 140 or fewer games. The Major League Baseball Players Association, believing it proved a year ago that teams can safely adapt to protocols, wants the season to start on time, playing all 162 games with... Full pay. Yeah, you knew this was coming, Randy. um, I'd been hearing rumblings from all kinds of people in the industry, and I I talk to people every day about it because, you know, I'm intimately involved in it with calling games, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to figure out if we're going to go to spring training or would we be uh, starting on time, all those things. Everybody's trying to figure it out. It it changes, it seems like, every day. The players want to get paid in full. You can understand that. We had a 60-game season, so uh, you understand why they want to get their full 162 in. You can understand that owners and those that are, um, uh, especially on the ownership side, are saying, well, we want to have fans in the stands. And I I think this will come down to maybe the the very end. I mean, very close to seeing, because if you you look at when the vaccine, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this and what you've read and watched and heard and all those things but when the vaccine is readily available for the general public it would be right around the start of baseball season right march april that kind of thing and whether or not we're able to get everybody in the ballpark or if uh, uh, the players are fully vaccinated and you know can we have uh, some capacity all that kind of stuff all those questions just aren't it's just a gray area you know we just don't know yet as we talk in the middle of december we just don't know and the players obviously believe that they got through last year with a minimum of problems and ownership hey they'd like to play all 162 and get all their money too but they think. also don't want to deal with the specter of what they had last year with the cardinals and the marlins and some other players here's a quote from bob nightingale's piece at usatoday.com 
I don't see a snowball's chance in hell that spring training can start with just protocols in place, one National League owner told USA Today. He said, I think there will be significant pressure for players to get the vaccine first before they go to spring training. And if that has to be moved back to April and play 130 games, so be it. But to have 162 games and to start spring training at the normal time without players being vaccinated, that's just crazy. I wonder if you can get 162 in by pushing the season back and then doing your seven-inning doubleheaders one a week. Makes sense. Um, you could probably look at – I've tried to do some of those numbers. It would be close. Um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I don't think you want to go to spring training and then shut the start of the season down and then try to amp it back up. I mean, you're, you're not going to do that because if, why would you have guys go down to spring training that aren't vaccinated and then say, well, we're not going to start the season and then go. You know, you're going to wait till everybody's vaccinated right. and, then, and then start the season, or you're going to put everybody in a bubble and then get vaccinated. Exactly. So hey, We wanted to get to some of your texts, and thanks for going to the trouble to text to 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. This is the franchise that hasn't won in football, a Super Bowl, in baseball, a championship, in basketball, hockey, a championship. The team that hasn't won and the fan base that you'd like to see get a victory in the championship game. Dan said the Buffalo Bills and from the 314, Buffalo Bills, the poor SOBs. I wouldn't call them an SOB, but I, I do feel sorry for them. Uh, from the 314, the Jacksonville Jaguars would be fun to see win. I'm with the Bills. The, You're with me on the Bills, right? Uh, yeah, I am. And you didn't I, really give me yours. Oh, I, I went with the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, that's right. And I kind of went up to the line of yes, but then, but they left. So. Yes, but. Yeah, I, I had a big but there. Yeah, that's that's fine. Okay. From the 573, St. Louis will love this one. The Nashville Predators. No. No, 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 no that's not going to work. I want to see them go on a, a Blues-type 52-year run. The the Preds. Yes, without winning. That may happen. Yeah. I'm going to say that may happen. I think that they have a chance to be cursed. The only problem is you got a cap league, so it's very mm-hmm. tough to be cursed that long. Yeah, you kind of walk into one, you know? You'd think so. Yeah. That's the only problem. If you're in a cap yeah. league, it's tough to be cursed that long. Mm-hmm. Dan, when I was a little kid, the Vikings were always good. They went to four Super Bowls by the yeah. time I was like 12 years old. And this from the 618, would like to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl. The state of Minnesota hasn't brought home a championship since 1991. 91? Yeah. How come they didn't, uh, you're Mr. NFL, how come they didn't put a dome on that thing or a retractable roof? Where? In Minnesota. Oh, the, yeah, it's a, it's a fixed roof. The uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, it's a fixed roof. But I mean, like initially, you know, like before oh, they the went Metropolitan to... Stadium? Yeah, yeah. It was built like in the early 60s. I, well, no, no, I'm talking about baseball. Oh, the Target Field. Yeah. That is nuts. I don't know how they could not have put a retractable roof I on that. I don't quite understand that one. I don't. No. I, I know you're talking football, but I mean, you're Mr. NFL. I'm just trying to figure out why in baseball we don't have a fixed roof on I that one. I don't get it. Because when you're playing baseball in April in Minnesota, it's, it's pretty yeah. cold. And if you are the Twin Cities, if you're... Minneapolis, You know, you have walkways in downtown because it's really cold. Right. And 
Milwaukee has a retractable roof. How can Milwaukee have a retractable roof and you can't? I don't quite understand that one. No, I don't either. I've been there when it's really cold, Randy. And it is really cold. That's cold. Like, today's kind of a cold day in St. Louis. That's not cold in Minnesota. Okay, I'm just saying. Now, we live in such a nice, friendly, thoughtful, generous community, Dan. From the 314, I'd like to see the Buffalo Sabres win just as payment for O'Reilly. Just to give him one back? Yeah. No. They had Hashik. They had their shot. They have had their shot. And yeah. and Brett Hall was in the uh, mm. you know he was in the paint of the crease. And make the save. Make the save. They had Dominic Hashik. Yeah. They had their shot. Yeah. Tough. How about this one for a whole country from the three one four? I wouldn't mind seeing any Canada team win a cup sometime. Well, they they had the uh, they had the great Oilers teams for a while. Yep. They had their run. Canadians in ninety three were their last. Right. Led by the great Jacques Demer. Yeah. So they had their run. And Marty McSorley had the illegal stick. That's right. In that Stanley Cup final. That was Gretzky's last Stanley Cup final. Bringing a tear to my eye, Randy. <laughs> and finally, from the 573, can I pick the Padres? That team is fun to watch. Like I said before, though, they have the weather. I and Somebody asked us earlier about if you were dipping in your toe into the college um, waters, Mizzou basketball, I would have to agree with that. At least get to a Final Four. Right. I, I think that's fair. They've yeah. had some, I mean, great teams. The great Big Eight teams under yep. Norm, they'd always win in the Big Eight, but yet never get far in the tournament. And then they were close, really close in '94. They had a good run yeah. under Mike Anderson, made it to the Elite Eight, lost to UConn, but never could get over the hump. I would, I, I just agree with that. It's amazing that with all the talent they've great had, they have been able to get over the hump. Yeah, I got to get to this one from the three one four. Think about how bad it is to be a Lions fan. That franchise caused two Hall of Fame players to retire early, Sanders and Megatron, because they were so poorly run. That's awful. Lions fans could use a little. Dan, the Detroit Lions, since 1957, that's five years longer than I've been alive, (laughs) they've won one playoff game since 1957. Can I ask you an honest question? I'm watching on Turkey Day. How come Matthew Stafford doesn't get enough credit? I, I was watching him play, and I'm like, that guy is really good, and he still has a cannon for an arm. Yep. And he was making good plays, good throws, and I'm I'm sitting there watching, and they're talking about this is probably going to be his last year, correct? Mm-hmm. Why? He's playing for the wrong team. I mean, he's a good player. He's a really good player. If he would have been drafted by a better franchise, he would be considered one of the greats. His all-time numbers are top 10 throughout. He's been a great quarterback. So why are they Just in a horrible spot. Why are they going to let him walk? Explain this one to me. Well, I don't he, follow it closely enough in Detroit, so I, I'm trying to figure this out. Yeah, they're going to wind up with a decent pick. He was drafted in 09, so let's see. We're talking 34 years old now. Yeah. And I, I think Fire it's prob- missiles, yeah, though. Probably as much to start a new coach and general manager with their own quarterback and give him an opportunity to win as anything. We have a Florida Panthers. Well, they had a shot. They lost to the Avalanche in 96. Right. That was Scott the, Mellaby. Scott team, right? Mellaby and the, uh, remember the Rats? Yeah. They were hitting the, the Rats in the locker room? Yeah. It was Scott was, Mellaby's team. Yeah. So And, and now with Q, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Quenville yeah. win another one. Prongs was there, so they got, they did have him in their front office, but he left. Yeah. He's running, helping run a family travel agency That's right. Now, right? That's right. We've got to get Prongs on the show soon. Yeah. All Dan, right. this has been fun. What do we got was coming up the, with Scoops? Uh, this was the crossover. Yeah, it was. Um, 
You can stick around anytime you want to hang around in my oh, show, by you. the way. I guess you're not going to do that not today. today because I have meetings and stuff, but I will. You don't have meetings. Stop. You're acting like you're important. You're going to have a, a new sponsor on our show that you'll hear about uh, very in the very near future. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, we're going to have Brad Thompson on. They had Benji Molina that we've been talking about a lot. So we're going to get into that interview, and I guess we're going to talk more about uh, the, the report with uh, Mr. Nightingale in USA Today about the uh, union button heads a little bit with ownership and a start of a major league season. Which so is weird because that's never happened in baseball. No, before. I mean, those two have gotten along for years. And the synergy and the smooth <laughs> negotiations they've had for so many years. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Thanks for coming in early. Want to do it again tomorrow? Uh, absolutely. I'll probably do Let's this do all the way up till right about Christmas. Love that idea. Yeah, I just this feel fun. It. Hey, thanks, Randy. You make it easy. Thank you. And Tanner Hendrickson, thank you for your great work. Thank you. And we appreciate you tuning in and texting in and being a part of the show. For all of us that are sitting here, until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. At Jiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense. With personalized service reviews that swap the car talk for straight talk. So you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care? That's a job for Jiffy. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.